0: Forum, Borealis,
1: Paradise, Expansion.
2: Greetings from the North, people of Earth, welcome. With today's episode, we launch a new miniseries, which is rather educational by nature. Regular listeners will have heard me many times lamenting the corruption and degeneration of science into scientism and how science really started out as a neutral tool of philosophers in the true and original meaning of the word. And of course, certain names in the history of pre-science are obelisks like Pythagoras, Leonardo da Vinci, Francis Bacon... And who else ought I add after them? Well, I'll let this clip answer. Is nature a gigantic cat? And if so, who strokes its back? May
1: I introduce the brilliant Nikola Tesla, the greatest inventor of the age? These things never quite work as you expect them to, Mr. Angier. That's one of the principal beauties of science. Hold the other hand. What's conducting the electricity? Our bodies, Mr. Angio, are quite capable of conducting and, indeed, producing energy.
0: If you Google Nikola Tesla, you get 34 million results. It's basically just four pictures. Beyond that, things get murky and
2: more imaginative.
3: Thomas Alva Edison. Got a light? Like? Oh, Tesla. Didn't see you there before.
2: I now have the pleasure of
1: introducing you to a novel system of energy. Alternate currents. <laughs> I need something impossible. You're familiar with the phrase, man's reach exceeds his grasp. Is the light. Man's grasp exceeds his nerve. Society only tolerates one change at a time. first time I tried to change the world, I was hailed as a visionary. Second time, I was asked politely to retire. <laughs> so here I am, enjoying my retirement. Nothing is impossible, Mr. Angier. What do you want is simply expensive. Just transform the way the world works. No, no sparks. sparks. It's perfect. Where have you been hiding?
3: Alternating current is a waste of time impractical and deadly
1: you live in your head
3: doesn't everyone you lack funding mr tesla thinks i owe him money what was it fifty thousand dollars yes anne morgan
1: daughter of J. pierpont morgan a woman like that can make all your dreams come true all my dreams are true i apologize for leaving without saying goodbye but I seem to have outstayed my welcome in Colorado. You work at night in a secret laboratory. You shoot lightnings from the earth to the sky. If I'm trying to team wildcat, and I become nothing but a mass of bloody scratches.
2: Are you like being scratched? If necessary.
0: The world we are living in is a dream that Tessa dream first
1: the truly extraordinary is not permitted in science and industry perhaps you'll find more luck in your field where people are happy to be mystified you will find what you are looking for in this box i add only one suggestion on using the machine destroy it drop it to the bottom of the deepest ocean Such a thing will bring you only
2: misery.
0: Dream first.
2: Now, that was a mesh of trailers and excerpts from the movies Tesla and The Prestige. It sets the tone for our new series called Tesla, Man of Light, which is the brainchild of our guest today. He originally intended it as a docuseries, And it may also become one in the future, but for now it will be a conversation-based episodic project which follows the arc of a beautiful artistic picture book he has made. You will learn anything worth knowing about Tesla, and not just the mainstream stuff. But it begins even before the man himself as Tesla was a natural consequence of a development from the philosopher-scientists before him. So today we will write the first chapter in this series focusing on the history of electrical engineering. It is called Forgotten Roots because between the materialist debasing of the discipline and the corporatism hijacking of it, its true roots is all but forgotten among the general population. We seek to rectify this with the first chapter divided into three parts called the ether, the Kitegeist and the Steampunk. The guest guiding you through this is Stacey James, whom you will have heard in our former shows on Mystics of the Maya and also as a sidekick in my conversations with Lauren Jeffries. Although he now has a better microphone than during those recordings... This show still suffers from occasionally poor sound quality for other reasons, which I hope you will indulge us with. There's also a cameo of my cat, which normally would have been removed in editing, but as she has since wandered into mouse hell, also known as cat heaven, she might as well be honored with an immortalization. Now as for Stacey James is a longtime listener of the forum and also a filmmaker and author. Born in Canada, he enrolled at the University of Calgary for a bachelor in anthropology between ninety one and ninety four in the branch of Mayan studies. Dissolutioned with academia, he moved to a hub for freethinkers, bohemians, and alternative lifestylers in British Columbia, where he met artist and spiritual leader José Arguellos, whom he studied under. In 95, he started writing his first historic novel, On the Maya, which eventually would become a series, and in 96, set up his book and TV production company. Also in 95, he joined the Vipassana Foundation of Satya Goenk and has practiced Vipassana meditation ever since. In 94, he was a leading part of launching the first successful programming committee, Cotony Co-op Radio, where he was co-founder and chairman. In 97, a full-time broadcast license was acquired, at which point he refocused his involvement as producer, host and creator of multiple successful On air programs until he moved to Vancouver in 2000. There he launched in 01 the publicity division of Granville Island Publishing, a boutique self-publishing service provider. Upon his arrival, he established the publicity, earned media, and digital marketing services department. Working as the publicity and marketing director until 06. In 07, he became marketing director of Stash Media. ...when it was just a DVD magazine. However, they saw the writing on the wall for this luxury item. So, Stacey James convinced the company to apply the streaming technology he was already familiar with... ...making them the first global content streaming platform. Incidentally, an executive of Netflix, who was then a drop-chip DVD business... inquired in detail about this technology which they then proceeded to copy in 2008, which made them into the streaming platform we know today. Meanwhile, Stacy James became associate publisher of Stash Media and produced and directed all the viral video adverts, managed their subscriber base and expanded market presence and streamlined online buying processes. However, in 080, he left Vancouver and embarked upon his new lifestyle, traveling the world. He first taught Mayan Anthropology at an academy in Ukraine and created a curriculum for PhD and students specializing in Mayan cosmology. In turn, he created iTravel, an online social network for owners and users of ebook technology, offering access to all catalogs from ebook producers. In 11, he incorporated Maya Media, where he serves as president and chief executive officer, and legally assigned the Mystics of the Maya series, focusing on the development, acquisition, and packaging of entertainment media productions of different types. The current slate includes sci-fi, fantasy, and period drama films. Maya Media is also a white-label supplier of mobile PC hardware devices for corporate brand label and product incentive uses. In 12, he produced Tree Planter reality TV series. In 13, he won the Bell Media National Fellowship Award, a program that identifies outstanding professionals in the television industry. Between 13 and 15, he produced the docuseries Legions of a Lost Civilization. In 18, he became Chief Executive Officer of BC Studios, which developed feature film and TV production studio facilities, with rural development focus. In 20, he became a minority owner and board member of Oceanic, which is an equity fund for TV and feature film studio production and urban infrastructure construction around the world. Currently, he is developing a series on Nikola Tesla, called Tesla Man of Light, together with the producer of The Godfather films and 16 other Coppola films and it's this template we're following in our forum series of the same name stacy speaks both english and spanish and currently resides in san cristobal de las casas in mexico welcome back to forum boreales stacy thank you huh? yes and uh, f- ah finally huh yeah just so people know this wasn't simple at all no 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 I mean
3: (laughs) well from the audio perspective that's one perspective the other side of it is that uh, when we decided we were going to do this I decided I was going to take on way more than I could chew which was (laughs) to create this uh, first part I'm going to call it part one because I really as I've been going along yeah and developing this uh, idea of presenting uh, you know representing Tesla in a in a more in-depth way um you know to me it seems like it could be almost infinite really because of the number of um side stories yeah. that come with Tesla yeah uh, and the first one, story yeah the, the the first one that comes up of course is uh the fact that Tesla was um, part of a an intellectual wave sort of uh, began in the Middle Ages, really, you know, uh, as far as electrical engineering is concerned. And then there's other aspects to yeah, character. Yeah.
2: So uh, if you're going to do all 300 slides, here's what we'll do. You know how I have series, right? For yes. example, one called the… Yeah, the, the Breakaway uh, Civilization Timeline. Right. Yeah, for example, yeah. that one. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's what we're thinking yeah. of. So we could have a series called Tesla Man of Light, yes. where every episode doesn't have to be about Tesla. No, exactly. exactly. So, so this we do now is a standalone thing. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that.
3: I think that's going to be very, I think that's going to be very, very good for your channel. Yeah, but this also, today,
2: just this one today will be probably three hours. So mm-hmm. it will be divided into two, probably. Mm-hmm. And, well, I'm glad you see the
3: value in it. That's the important part.
2: Yeah, because uh, it's a way we can cover a lot of science stuff yeah. that I haven't done so much yet. Yeah. And um, the coherence. And Tessa's
3: a great great lightning rod for that. I mean, you want yeah. to talk science, just throw Tessa's name around, you'll get listeners. So, yes, absolutely. I think it's great.
2: And and we saw this today. First of all, people, we noticed you have a better sound than last time. People were complaining. Righteously, that your sound sucked.
0: Yeah. yeah. And
2: now it's improved. Yeah. And also, we have the brilliant idea of doing slides. So, hopefully, when people are watching this, it's, I mean, on the podcast, it's simple, it's just the audio. But if you run over to YouTube, folks, you'll see the illustrations for everything we talk about. I suppose we should describe the slides for those who only listen to audio.
3: Sure. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah. So in this case, we're looking at a, a circular cutout of Tesla's face. You know, he was about 28, I believe, when when this photo was taken.
2: Yeah. So this is an introduction, and it says "novel series: Tesla, Man of Light." Love that title. Uh, Thank ju- you. Just like you know, you have a uh, thing for good titles. Mystics <laughs> of the Maya mm. is a good title and tesla man of light is a good title and i tell you stacy you're the only guest where we adopted the title for our own shows <laughs> from what you already have chosen everything else has been renamed by us hmm. but not this time so hmm. we're going to go with tesla man of light too although it's going to be maybe three episodes we'll see how long we can stomach this but Mm -hmm. if so then uh, they will get subtitles of course so this is like an introduction but tell us novel series what are you up to Mm -hmm. what is this referring to okay
3: well okay so um the idea from the beginning was to do People don't know me, obviously, but uh, I have an intellectual property company. In 2011, I incorporated that and I won some awards for a couple other projects. And that opened the door for me to get involved with people who have illustrious media careers. And so it became feasible at that point to potentially do a streaming series. You know, that was sort of the hot commodity at that time. Game of Thrones was taking off. A lot of other series have been very successful, like um, Breaking Bad and, you know, many things. This was sort of a new golden age of television, if you will, Mm -hmm. Uh, at least streaming series or, you know, um, independent branded channels like HBO and so on. And and so I started developing an idea to uh, do a streaming series for Nikola Tesla. Um, Because I felt at that time, especially, uh, there was sort of this garden variety story about Tesla that everybody knows that he was from Serbia, came to America, invented alternating current and then had some sort of odd things that he did. And then his name disappeared. And this was all some grand conspiracy. Um, And that's sort of the idea that everybody seems to have about Tesla. And then, of course, the Tesla car company had been taking off from 2011 to now of course, where it's one of the largest companies and he's able to uh, sort of toy around with going to space now. Mm. And that's all on the back of Tesla, really. And and it just seems amazing to me that, that so few people know much about Tesla or even take the time to read any of the biographies that are out there. People don't even read his own autobiography. I mean, he wrote something about himself, although it was probably highly edited. It's hard to say. It's hard to say.
2: He was a very private man, wasn't he? Uh, no, not not especially. No, that's what the no, image. is. No,
3: I, I mean when we get into yeah, the image is that he has this kind of uh, seclusive. Yeah, he has a potpourri of all kinds of intellectual maladies, and that um, despite those, he was a, a mad genius, uh, like sort of the you know archetypical um, shaman of the electric age. This is yeah. kind of the uh, you know the mythology around him, mm-hmm. and you know it is earned let's just say. But at the same time, as we go through this presentation, we're going to realize that, uh, you know, he didn't come from nowhere. And he wasn't uh, just some mad genius who appeared out of nowhere and no. came up with all these things himself.
2: No, these d- didn't come from aliens. No,
3: no, not at all. Of course, once we go through this presentation, hopefully people have a very not only a grounded understanding of the history of electrical engineering, um, you know, from the middle ages right up to Tesla, mm. but it'll become obvious why, uh, why Tesla, uh, went in the direction that he went in, which was to create, um, wireless free electricity for everybody. This is the sort of, you know, this is the, the pinnacle of his, um, ambitions uh, as it, you know, formed uh, from his uh, early age uh, as an engineer and into uh, moving into the United States and becoming uh, a major factor in the uh, progress that uh, humanity made uh, in regards to electricity. So this is what I'm trying to say in this series. And it is in development of the series, as I invested so much time uh, in, in, in developing the series, I had to create something called a show Bible. In fact we should probably get to the next slide because it's kind of a little bit easier to uh, discuss it that
2: way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so to sum up, the first episode will be more of a background to understand Tesla better. So the real Yeah, we're
3: not even really going to discuss Tesla. So the
2: real Tesla stuff will basically be in I guess the third episode.
3: Yeah, that that would be more likely. Uh, I mean, not likely, it is going to be the next two episodes. So this one is the history of electrical engineering mm. uh, from the Middle Ages right up to Tesla, basically. Okay. And I just have to plug it. So in the bottom right corner, you can see Patreon, Tesla Man of Light, com, and then the Facebook page that you can go to to follow these things or support these things. And I, before we get into this, these slides, uh, for people who are listening and cannot see it, I do encourage you to go over to the YouTube channel and check it out because these slides are actually going to be available in a coffee table print version. So you can literally go to uh, Patreon or Tesla Man of Light and then buy.
2: And they are beautiful, man. You made it them yourself, right?
3: Yeah, I did. This is what I've been doing for the last month. Literally, I'm oh, not wow. joking. Six to eight hours a day, I've been Jeez. making this presentation. Uh, right. You know, I don't, yeah. So, this is what I've been doing. Um, people who can't see it, there's a just a just an exquisite photo yeah. behind the image of Tesla and one of his a cutout from one of his um, inventions, so you can kind of see.
2: Every image is an artwork, man. Let's <laughs> uh, let's do that. Let's move on to the second, and you'll hear a bell, folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's actually just to help our editing. <laughs> yeah. But it's also going to help uh, people who only listen to the audio version to understand we are moving uh, through
0: Mm -hmm. uh,
2: different slides. So I'm going to ring the bell now, and you're going to click the button, okay? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Well, whatever. Next slide.
3: Next slide. Yeah. You can always uh, you can always take a sample audio and use it.
2: Yeah, so I'll describe nice. uh, every new slide, and and then you'll tell us uh, sure what yeah, it yeah. illustrates. So now we're seeing his crazy tower, but it's like mm-hmm. a- imposed upon a city, and we see yeah. all the electricity, all the rays, all the lightning strikes going off in different directions. There, I observe, of course, the mm-hmm. Zeppelin's. It's probably the Hindenburg. I observe the <laughs> Freedom Statue of Liberty. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it kind of looks like New York, this uh, thing.
3: Well, it is, yeah. These are all um, from actual images of New York City mm. uh, that are all glass plate. Um, so they're in super high definition. I've got... Something like three thousand of them
0: Jeez.
3: Uh, and it's not only buildings, obviously there's a lot of people, a lot of uh, famous people, a lot of events that took place I've got all these images that I took from, and this covers pretty much new york from um, uh, from his arrival from the time
2: of his arrival so that's where he first came,
3: yeah, and uh, yeah, he arrived to New York, pretty much stayed there except for his uh expedition and um, time that he spent in uh, Colorado. And, you know, he did some traveling, of course, but
2: mm-hmm.
3: he pretty much lived and died in New York uh, from 1883 till 1943.
2: Did he live in the middle of the city or was he reclusive there too? In the no, 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 no.
3: He, he was right in the middle. He was in Manhattan. He was in, uh, for a time, he was in... Uh, well, he was in a whole variety of neighborhoods in New York, but pretty much the main island of New York that is Manhattan is where he lived and died for the uh, for the time that he was in New York. So these these images and in the deep background, you can see what looks to be kind of like um, X-ray images of uh, right. newspaper articles. Mm. Those are I'm going to there's a little slide in coming up that I have special thanks
2: to. And a stamp, I think.
3: Yeah, I created a stamp. That was a stamp I created out of some imagery. Um,
2: did they ever give him a stamp? No. Oh my god, that's crazy! I know. I think Serbia did actually.
3: Well, Serbia has them on the money. Or Yugoslavia. <laughs> they have them on the money. Yeah, uh, the so money. it is Serbia. Yeah, it is Serbia. So obviously, uh, you know, anybody familiar with um, that part of history, mm. uh, when Tesla left, he was part of Yugoslavia, which was part of the austria hungarian Empire. And so that broke up, you know, in the 80s and 90s into all kinds of different countries. Uh, we won't get into that. But basically, this is newspaper clippings of him being interviewed or him actually writing articles. And there's hundreds and hundreds of them. And some of them are um, cutouts of his uh, his patents and so on. So that's the image that we're looking at here. It's a-
2: so so his patents exists, but all his templates, all his real uh, material is lost. Which is they say that's kind of why he hasn't received his due as much as he should. Which is bullshit. He was censored, but that's another. Actually, we're gonna to get to that too, I guess. Oh well, yeah, we'll
3: get into all of that. Yeah, there's so much of that.
2: Uh, and I'm gonna have questions about his inventions and what has survived, etc. But I'm I'm guessing that's for later too. Yeah. Should we move on to the next slide? These just for looks sure. like introductions, I think. Yeah, these are just introductory slides. Okay, so. let's move on then. Okay.
3: So back to what this is, it it really is a multimedia project and Mm. it has been developed since uh, 2011. And at this point, I really want to leverage Patreon and eventually an Indiegogo campaign to self-publish the novel series. Mm. Uh, And it does need to be free of mainstream censorship because I have had conversations with not only the, um, you know, HBO and Fox and all these other groups that wanted to look into the series, but... um, You know, some of the publishers that are out there and and they really start getting interested in the topics that are being covered. And I don't even that's usually when I shut down the conversation with them because I don't want to uh, get into deep into the weeds so that they start saying, well, we got to. We got to mount a campaign against this guy. Right. I don't want to sound too conspiratorial, but this is a fact. Yeah. Like I do encounter that quite
2: often. Plus, uh, plus they steal stuff too. So if you gave away yes, too much, yes,
3: that's another thing. They steal a lot of stuff. They do. That's
2: what they do. Uh, they don't create. That's Hollywood,
3: basically. Yeah, that's yeah. Hollywood. That's yeah. that's really what they do. If they think they can steal it from you and don't have to work with you, that's what they'll do.
2: Yeah, I have to say mm-hmm. Patreon. I'm so fed up with Patreon now. There is another player out there called um, Buy Me a Coffee or something. I think that. Thanks they're,
3: for thanks for crapping on my uh, my objective. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, no, I'm, not, uh, I'm not a huge fan of Patreon, but here's the deal, Al. Uh, if I'm going to do this full time, I have to be able to do it, and the only way I can do that is to get support. And right now, Patreon's the most popular. Hopefully, that will convince oh, some people to go there. Well, it is. Yeah, it's the most used of those types of platforms. Okay. And so that means that there's the most number of people out there who are familiar with it and comfortable with it and have given money or have considered giving money no. to somebody who's on Patreon. And so that's what you do. You, you go somewhere you, that has the most traffic and you, you launch your thing there. I have problems with Patreon, just as you do. Hmm. I have problems with Indiegogo and Kickstarter, just as anybody who's deep into the weeds on those things. But you have to start somewhere. Yeah. And I'm no longer funded by, um, by mass media. No. So I have to do this now. And yeah. so this is why I put so much energy into these slides is because I see this Okay, I just
2: wanted to warn you about Patreon, but you 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 know it already, so it's a oh, deb- yeah. as it's... long as it's a deliberate choice on your part, no worries. Yeah, and
3: I'm not doing anything social or political or anything like that. I'm just talking about Tesla and I'm just doing books that I can publish myself. Yeah. And and it's very low impact and probably I'm not going to get the kind of attention in the early going on Patreon that would precipitate any sort of censorship on that. Um, so, you know, I understand what you're getting at, but I just need to to move okay. on. Should we move and I on to people, the next? Well, I just wanted to point out that it's a multimedia project. It's not just the, the books. But if I can publish the novels first, then I'm in control of the narrative. Mm. And they can't change it. And I own it outright. And there's many reasons to do it that way. And then, of course, the next step, of course, is uh, di- learning apps, digital games, documentaries, all things right. that can't be as easily censored, things that I can actually produce off the back of proceeds.
2: So so to let people understand why this is uh, risky, you can just take away from this last sentence I'm, I'm reading here. <laughs> and a streaming series, Stacy writes. That you want to do depicting Tesla's life during humanity's transition into techno fascist breakaway civilization. And here's, here's, of course, where the politics comes in. I mean, mm-hmm. that's unavoidable, whatever you do today. Uh, almost everything is politicized. Yeah. So uh, that's where you'll get in trouble because it's, although UFOs, as we are speaking, are now. F- they have now changed the narrative about it. They bumped it up uh-huh. and into their own spin machine. Yeah, they, they want to be ahead of the story, right? Yeah, but they had
3: their, they had it in the back of their pocket for a while. They've been waiting for the right time to use it. And now they're making
2: it mainstream. Yeah, but here's the thing. Maybe the same will happen with the break of a civilization. Because <laughs> if you go back Maybe. to when the real revelation started to come, it was when Jeron. Von Straten and those guys over here in Europe were having these serious, uh, sober, fact-based conventions. And more and more people started to give attention to it and mm-hmm. better and better guests, professionals in the science world. Kind of like, you know, it's, it's a part of what has been going on already. We saw it started with the disclosure project of Stephen Greer and then it was the citizens disclosure or something like that which dolan was involved with
0: Mm -hmm.
2: and then there was the breakaway secret space program civilization yeah the same guys actually also had and we we're going to talk about this later free energy conference which they still have and it it Mm -hmm. hasn't gotten a lot of attention i think they call it global Bem. yeah great uh, well, there's
3: there's the one that you have on the, where you are in the sort of european side of things and then there's the ones that go on here
2: yeah that you 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 talk about that later too we're going to touch yeah i both. mean we're
3: going to get into it when we get into some of the um thanks that i'm giving there's a slide coming up that has a list of people that i thank yeah, for, we give them a yeah. shout out
2: but my point yeah, is sure. to, to to complete my reasoning mm-hmm. is that um Then, the first thing they started to do, you know, first they ignore you, that's the first. But (laughs) then it's the ridicule. And that's when we saw that they were uh, coming full in with uh, Corey Good and... Mm -hmm. Uh, And this corrupt guy, David Wilcock, all that stuff. Yeah, that guy, oh my God. Hijacked the The whole thing. The big brain,
3: the big brain. He's he's
2: got the big brain. Yeah, and they made it into a joke, (laughs) right?
3: Well, you know, I have to admit, when I first came across um, Wilcock, I thought, wow, interesting. You know, some of the stuff he was saying. Yeah, sure. He's doing great And then he just absolutely went off into… Full meltdown, yeah but it that built well, up. who knows who knows what his motivations are but yeah then getting involved with Corey good and oh
2: it's always been it's always been attention mm-hmm. commercial he he's a wannabe guru i, guess I so. mean that's clear but he's not without i'm giving my personal judgment here mm-hmm. but it's not without merit i mean he has uh, qualities but i don't care how good you are when you can't be trusted, when you prostitute yeah. yourself, when you yeah. do shortcuts, when you deliberate shortcuts. Seduce. I
3: don't agree with. Yeah. Yes, and this is sort of the problem I've had is I don't take shortcuts, and this causes me to yeah. pay the price. Well, I end up in, in uh, areas that are problematic. Absolutely. And you know, I had my funding pulled too. Right? I mean, I've right. got a huge story that I'm not going to get into, but um, at some point, I got defunded as well. And that was because I was getting into things about the Mayan calendar. And then of course now Tesla, Yeah. Uh, that, that people were really having a problem with, and so now I need support from others. And I'm not the kind of person who likes to do that. I don't like
2: doing it. I don't like asking for money. And you didn't want the suits to to start messing with the content. The right? suits started messing with it, yeah. and
3: I went through a, a legal battle, and I had to do things I didn't enjoy in order to uh, basically come out of it with all my intellectual property intact, in full ownership, as well as the share price, because I have a shared valued company. Mm. And I have shareholders, people who went to work with me. And I have all kinds of things going on in the background that I haven't talked about uh, with many people that, that have caused me to have to go completely independent. and Good for, for you, bro. a good, good four years, I, I fell off the financial cliff. Right. And now I'm here and I'm saying, okay, now I need support for these kinds of things. So if people want to see these things come to fruition… The novel is the best place to start because it's something I can control and it's something I can do from beginning to end. But I need the time because the amount of time that is required to do this properly without taking shortcuts is it's it's a lot of time. I mean, even this hundred slide presentation sure. took me a month. Yeah. yeah. Now, of we didn't talk about the fact that that's who is that in the background, by the way, of this slide.
2: Uh, Morgan, I guess, young Morgan. No, but but no, I'm I'm not no. done with my reasoning. No, no, that's it's Mark Twain. Oh, it's Mark Twain, of course. And he's hanging out with Tesla, and as you can see,
3: his eyes are closed because Tesla is showing him something, um, and that's a photo that's pretty rare. But he's the
2: way. always involved with. I mean, Mark Twain <laughs> has a finger in everything. Quite an, He's an interesting, interesting guy. guy. We, 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 get interesting this, guy. The, we get to this. We get to the story, but uh, let sure. me complete my reasoning. So sure. they started with the, the fake breakaway thing. So that's a ridicule thing. And then they started to fight them, and that's when they like weird stuff was happened, censorship, and um, yeah, long story. I mean, Daniel List has gone after these guys very early, okay. so. Everybody who follows same knows the background here. So my point is, and then comes Trump with the space force. Yeah. So my point is, we may see in the near future the same treatment of the breakaway civilization and secret space program as we've seen with the UFOs. In other words, that the establishment hijacks it and mm-hmm. spins it to their advantage. Yeah. When it well, can't be have, suppressed they anymore, they have to own they it. They have right?
3: mainstream and they have. What's big that tech now? And they have. Well, they have mainstream media and they have big tech. yeah, And they have um, basically people just rolling over. No matter what they say now, people just roll over. Like this whole vaccine yeah. thing.
2: Anyway, they have everything banks, Pentagon, and the Intel companies. So it is a consolidation of the establishment. But mm-hmm. so if you publish something like this, then um, uh, it depends on where that process is. Uh, we can hope that. No, no, I've
3: got it sorted out. I've got it sorted out. It's actually very, very doable, um, very cost-effective. Like I say, I can produce a 100-page full glossy color uh, hardback with an imprint book of this slide
2: presentation for people.
3: And, you know, I can do it in a way that it makes it very
2: economical for everybody. Okay, okay, cool. Let's move on then to the next one.
3: So this is a quote. Uh, The the next slide is is an aerial image of New York with the um, Nazi Zeppelin flying over New York City. This actually took place in the 30s. Mm. And that's um, Manhattan Harbor right there, uh, as it was at that time. And this is a picture of Tesla when he was quite old. So it would have been right around that time when uh, the Nazis flew over New York City.
2: Okay, there's a, there's a quote here by Eric Dollard. I'll read it for the audio folks. <laughs> it goes like this. Tesla was not just some flash in the pan out of the blue individual that appeared from nowhere, which is what actually most people think. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and so. just figured everything out on his own. No, Tesla rode the wave of an intellectual movement. He was the peak, the quintessence of that movement and the culmination of all the study theory and math that came before. Yeah. I agree with that. very. Uh, who is Eric Dollard? for those who don't know? Yeah, well, he's a mysterious guy himself,
3: to be honest. Okay. Um, I, I have met him. I met him once. I was going to actually see him talk at this um, uh, new energy conference uh, conference in in um in Idaho, the state of Idaho, uh, which is just south of where I'm from, which is in Canada, just in Alberta. Right. And um so I was able to go there and sort of meet with him. And another time I went, he wasn't there. So uh he and Eric Murakami more or less joined forces together a while back um to start developing and raise money to develop some Tesla technology. Now what Eric is famous for and what he promotes himself as is the only person, really, that is known to have reproduced all of Tesla's practical bench science, um, uh, we call them, uh, tests, you know. Uh, the his, only one? This um, is what he says, yeah. Oh, okay. The only one who's reproduced <laughs> them. And I don't know if that means that uh, the only one in recent history. I mean, we don't know. Let's just say we don't know, but he is the latest.
2: But, but is Dolan one of those guys who makes these, you know, people buy these machines uh, that they beam themselves with at home? No, I no, f- no.
3: He's not, a, he's not a showman. He's, he's, uh, not evil, yeah, he's yeah. the antithesis of that. In okay. fact, I think it would be extremely difficult for you to end up getting him on uh, your show unless Eric comes on because Eric is kind of a, a handler in a good way. Uh, in a lot of ways, to help Eric sort of deal with some of these things, because <laughs> as he gets older, he's dealing with health issues, he's dealing with mental health issues, but he's also dealing with the fact that he's, you know, a very yeah. rare bird in this world, and most people can't relate to him. So he's,
2: he's an unusual character. Just, just you know, you said Eric twice. You, you probably mean someone else. Um, no,
3: I mean Eric. I mean
2: Eric. Yeah. So both are named Eric. Eric Dollar.
3: No, no, no. Eric and then Aaron. Sorry. Aaron. Okay. Yes. Hmm. Uh, Aaron with an A.
2: Right.
3: Um, I mean, you can look him up. I'm, uh, why don't we go to the next slide?
2: Yeah, let's do that.
3: Mm-hmm. So th- this is what is kind of background on what the thought process was when Tesla was uh, really born, and that is that there is an ether, there's a medium of consciousness from which the materia emerges. Right. And so you've you've got a lot of episodes on your channel about how the hijacking of classical science by scientific materialism has become kind of a new primitive religion for this electric age that we're in. Mm. And it's the legacy, really, of of money uh, as the autocratic operating system of the new world order. So that is all paper money is obsolete. Right. So open ended fuel sources, parapsychology the world wars and the industrial military academic industrial complex or intelligence let's say i say intelligence complex because i'm referring yeah. to the the um, you know the secret society of the intelligence community hmm. is all cover story i believe for this technocratic breakaway civilization ah. you know and then there's a direct path and then there's direct paths to decentralizing everything
2: as well so the so the classical power uh, stations on earth like the pentagon and the intel agencies are really just minions of the real power i believe so
3: mm. that's my opinion that's my opinion yeah. uh, you know this is just based on well
2: i, I would say it's more than on a piece it's an analysis it is an analysis
3: it's yeah. not it's
2: not it's not something you 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 plucked out of your ass right it's something you actually no no no, no. No, this emerged based.
3: out of the facts. Yes, it's all sort of a picture that yeah. emerged out of facts, absolutely. Yeah. Um, now, I don't think that I'm the only one who thinks that. It's just that this is something that doesn't get talked about as much.
1: You're right.
3: Um, and, and so what I'm presenting here and why I'm presenting the history of, of um, electrical engineering from the Middle Ages to Tesla is to demonstrate that there was this ether science and there was the conclusion among some people, including Tesla that The ether was a medium of consciousness from which the materia emerged. So when we listen to somebody like Cliff High, right, he's talking about this all the time. But mm-hmm. he's not giving the background of where that comes from or making the connection to this scientific wave of classical science that, that peaked really with Tesla. And then suddenly a left turn took place. And that's the scientific materialism that emerged out of the mathematics, which took over the practical application of of, um, of, um, electrical engineering and set it off in this quantum direction. I don't know. You know, I really don't know if it was on purpose or if it sort of happened on its own. And then the power infrastructure that I'm talking about that's behind this long-term industrial military academic intelligence complex realized there was an opportunity there to create a new religion and then send people off into sort of oblivion
2: yeah but you have to you have to also take heed for the fact that they weren't like today i mean they have evolved too mm-hmm. they have evolved in parallel and and the power has just increased well, that's what technology does so um itself was more decentralized before there were there were there's always been you know huge class gaps of course there's always been an establishment and the population and uh, which means that the perpetual battle has always really been the elites versus the people populism versus establishment sure. but Back then, uh, the establishment was much more diverse. There were many different power players. Nation states itself could be a power player. Uh, Of course, money has always been a power player, but there was more, much more like the mafia system where you have certain powerful families, but there's also a certain amount of infighting between them. Yeah, of
3: course, faction.
2: Today, if you use that picture today, it's like most of the families have been either killed off or made to heal. So there's really just maybe just one huge extended family. Like you see in Saudi Arabia, that's what's happened there, literally. That, um, what do they call him, HMS? He has he has basically, I mean, it's, you know, Saudi Arabia has always been one huge degenerate family who has had all the uh, uh, power possessions, but it's like a huge one, right? Mm-hmm. Now it's more like many of them are ostracized and there's more like a hardcore uh, main group and he's calling all the shots this... Uh, uh,
3: well, it has sort of... Yes, okay, so I understand what you're saying. There is an evolution, of course, alongside this um, technological evolution. As we know, technology augments yep. and enhances whatever it touches and so of course it's going to augment and enhance the uh, centralization of power as it's evolved yeah, exactly. over time i mean the cia didn't get official until the 50s but prior to that was the office of naval intelligence so they did have a an op- yeah. you know they did have a an apparatus anyway i get into all the nuances in the novel that's the point of doing the novel
2: same in the un it was the league of nations and they didn't have that centralized power influence that uh, you see, in all these world institutions today, mm-hmm. the World Bank—I mean, the Bank for International Settlements—when did that yes, really exactly. come about? That was uh,
3: that all came about in the uh, what is called the 19th century.
2: Right.
3: That's in the next. That's in the next uh, series, actually, because okay. because let's not forget the uh, Rothschilds and the uh, Morgans and the um, Rockefellers—they all come into this story. Yeah. But they're not. We're not going to talk about it in this portion. Okay. This is about the history of electrical engineering.
2: Okay, okay. So next slide, then. Mm -hmm. Okay.
3: (laughs) Here we go. Part one of this presentation explores the history of electrical engineering leading to the late 19th and early 20th centuries, identifying the key breakthroughs that led to Nikolai Tesla. As we see in the background of this rare photo, they're actually breaking down uh, Wardenclyffe
2: Tower. Oh, they're taking it down. I thought they were racing yeah, it. that's Yeah, in, that's
3: in 1917. That was when they were pulling it down, literally pulling it down. Mm. A lot of people don't realize that the above-ground apparatus at uh, Wardenclyffe, there's as big, if not larger, uh, underground infrastructure underneath that tower.
2: An interesting thing with that tower, you see it's a building upon a circular principle. Mm-hmm. You see it's, it's round. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's not, uh, you know, that uh, that's a prerequisite if you're going to go into hyperdimensional physics, uh, torsion, <laughs> stuff like that.
3: Yeah, well, you're going to see where all that stuff comes from. Yeah. Anyway, I'm ready to go to the next slide, I think. Yeah, okay. Okay, yeah. so this is my special thanks. As I went in, I started to realize, uh, you know, I better start naming some people here. So I don't know if we want to go through everybody here, but...
2: See if there's someone I know.
3: Well, there's you (coughs) right under Nikola Tesla, right there. Look at that. Yeah,
2: let's (laughs) mention people. We have Mark McAndlish. May he rest in peace. He recently Mm -hmm, passed. Did you know?
3: Richard, of course. No, I didn't know that.
2: No. So we have um, Dolan.
3: Yep, Dolan. Fred is the uh, producer who did The Godfathers and Bram Stoker's Dracula. That's the one yeah. that partnered with me on doing and developing the uh, streaming series about Nikola Tesla. So, okay, he's, he's semi-retired now. He still does things as an executive producer, basically na- uh, lending his name to projects and making key introductions.
2: Where, where can folks find that old uh, production of Tesla you did? Pardon? You said uh, he was involved with your Tesla series. Yeah. Where can people find it? What the actual we didn't produce it, oh okay,
3: as I told you, we <laughs> went through a whole process with Fred to get the series developed for h b o and and other networks, and in that process, um I saw that they were going to corrupt the series right, and so I pulled out, so it never got produced now, pulling out caused a, a big storm uh for now yeah. po well, it wasn't just they, it's not like there's a grand they. It's like these are natural repercussions of investment dollars, Mm. right? I had investors and I pulled out of a lot of things and I got involved in some things that didn't occur, like the um, building of uh, production infrastructure, like film studios and stuff, and that caused a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, at some point, when people uh, start taking a real interest in, in what I'm doing, I'll tell all these stories because I've gone through... Right. You know, the valley of darkness, let's just call it. Yeah. To get here, to doing this presentation with you. So Fred, yeah, there is a video of Fred and I talking about doing this and they can find that um, you know, on different channels, but I think the easiest. Now, I was thing... thinking of the series itself. No, 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 no. I developed the series into a show bible, and a show bible is a whole other thing. I don't know if I want to talk about it here.
2: But it it will come uh, eventually. It, that right?
3: transformed into what is now the 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 kernel for the novel series of which I need support for, right? Right. So I have written the the show bible, which is now a three hundred page document. I'll explain what a show Bible is next time uh, we do the, the next slide series, um, because we'll be more talking about Tesla, so it'll be easier to discuss the construct of what a show Bible is. But anyway, Fred Fuchs is there. I thank Fred for his support.
2: Yeah, but look, we can't give it the life story of every person. We no, just no, 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 I didn't
3: want to, but you asked the Let's question. Let's just read so, them. so Dr. Joseph Farrell, Eric Dollard, of course, who um, we were just discussing, Aaron. Yeah. who's uh, putting the Energy Science Conference together, the Thunderbolts Project, which some people know is the, um, the resurgence of ether science in a new form, which essentially is the Electric Universe Theory.
2: Yeah, I, I suggest you just read the names. There's too many to, to narrate for everyone. Just go through the <laughs> list. People, if people don't know them, bad for them. Mark
3: Seifer. But they
2: know themselves, at least.
3: He's a, he's a biographer. He wrote an excellent biography of Tesla. Uh, Michael Schrett's. Uh, Catherine Austin Fitz, people know her from your channel and other areas. Mark McCandlish, you just mentioned, uh, he died recently. I did know that, actually. Uh, Neil Ferguson, author of that book, Tesla Science Center at Wardenclyffe. They had a successful crowdfund, and they've been able to put together a museum on the site of Tesla's Wardenclyffe project. Uh, Nikola Tesla Museum in Belgrade, of course. Jan Sovak, who's a business partner of mine. We were sort of estranged at this point, but he was a big uh, support for me. Uh, Ron Chernow, Eric Larson, those are authors. Uh, Ian Kershaw, also an author. By the way, the Hitler story comes into this. <laughs> yeah, look forward to that. Jill Jones, um, Sidney Kirkpatrick, wrote a book about Edgar Cayce. Uh, Henry Bentz jones manly p hall some people know who he is of course mark twain uh the players club in new york city which is an interesting tie-in uh gene manning um wrote a book called the coming energy revolution uh edward snowden i put him put his name in here for obvious reasons because uh he's a whistleblower of of import i'd say will yeah. become more well known as the years go by mm. julian assange same same story Satoshi Nakamoto, Bitcoin, and Ethereum, and why I put that in there is simple. It's a, it's a through path to decentralization of everything, which is really one of the key components of the Tesla story. Hmm. And the Tesla collection, where you can go and get a lot of the content that I've been able to source uh, online, uh, including all of his patents. I mean, you can actually download all of his patents off Google, but uh, those are just the known patents. We don't know which ones were suppressed. Uh, Cameron Prince, same thing. TeslaUniverse.com, W. Bernard Carlson wrote an interesting book, more focused on conventional science. And then Eric Felber, who was an inventor, or sorry, uh, an investor of uh, Maya Media, and brought a lot of people in, so I want to oh. thank him as well.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Next slide. Well, that was a good homage list, and uh, now we're starting part one, now we're starting it, the- that you called History of Electricity. Mm-hmm.
3: Pertaining to and leading to Nikola Tesla. Of course, the image here is Fall of the Giants. It's an Italian Renaissance artist um, who depicted... The painting is much larger, but this, of course, is the image of, uh, of Zeus holding the electric
2: bolt. Right. Good symbol. Mm-hmm. Ah.
3: So now we're into P- Copernicus.
2: Yeah, Copernicus.
3: Mm. So he published
2: a book. Let's just make people aware that when we go to the history of pre-science, mm-hmm. it's so annoying because the materialists they try to own that, they try to make the scientists of the past into, a, mm-hmm. should we say, a natural, logical unavoidable precursor to today so that when you look at the history it's like a development oh these Mm -hmm. were free thinkers and these were this and these were that so they are, it's the same they do with everything actually, they manipulate and skew stuff so it fits the narration. In reality most scientists up until the end of the 18th century Mm -hmm. I mean the 1800s I mean Mm -hmm were esotericists of one type or another.
3: Well, they were in, they were, they were absolutely independent thinkers. Let's just call it that.
2: Yeah, but they were not human ethics like uh, philosophical materialists, nor were they religious fanatics. I mean, you had that too, of course, but the main uh, and the big guys were into some kind of spiritual or esoteric aspect and in Tesla's own time that had started to change because when they hijacked the royal society the materialists did mm-hmm. when they started to control the scientific organizations that's why when they also started the purge and uh, ideology well, when it
3: became an organization when it became an organization that's when the whole concept of right opinion emerged yeah yeah mm-hmm. Now, these guys came out of, you know, I mean, you could do books on, many people have done books on Nicholas Copernicus. Oh, absolutely. We don't need to get into that. No, he
2: was an initiate. the
3: The main thing that I think he contributed to the whole history of electrical engineering was that seismic shift in consciousness between the Earth is the center of the universe to the Earth is just a orbiting body.
2: Yeah, but you know it's very exaggerated because first of he 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 wasn't like a lone nut case who thought that the Earth was round. Yeah. He was one of many, many, many who knew this. But what he did, he he helped prove it, of course. But yeah. the thing is, they also knew it in the ancient times. So we really just had a short time during the Catholic suppression, uh-huh. where where they tried to sell us the flat Earth thing. Uh-huh. Which some people bought into, of course, maybe the most uneducated or rural person, I don't know.
3: Well, let's just be honest, that is 99.9% of the, <laughs> the human <laughs> yeah, population the yeah, through, yeah, yeah. throughout <laughs> most of history and including today. Right. I mean, people are so... I, I'm going to get into something I shouldn't, so I won't. Okay, okay. But let's just say if people are as easily manipulated today as they are down these rose garden paths... <laughs> Yeah. doe eyed cows into doing things...
2: Okay, but the learned people had better sources, at least. But it's a fair point, I take it. Well, learned
3: point. people are just people who think independently. There are people yeah. who think independently and have some inner understanding of the fact that most infrastructure, whether it be academic or otherwise, government or otherwise, is a scan. Yeah. And as a result, that's the same with any kind of scientific understanding, any kind of understanding whatsoever. Yeah. Um, you know, there's very few people out there who have uh, the ability to recognize that, well, what we just said, that there's this, this what we call it, uh, herding of humanity down various different trajectories for some very small benefit for yeah. some
2: people. You know? and, and Copernicus, he was crucial in, in doing the heliocentric shift from geocentric <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, yeah,
3: that's the point I want to make here, is that mm. that is a consciousness shift. It is something that took place. The nuances of how that took place, well, that's books and books and books and books. But let's just say that's a very key point, and you'll see why. Yep. Yeah. Okay, next. So, the apparent absurdity of his claims, uh, you know, that the Earth is, is mobile and meant that the new theory was slow, obviously. Mm. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's now... Widely termed, I'm sort of reading my own work, but I'm kind of doing it in a in a more spontaneous way. But it's considered a scientific revolution. But it's really important to understand that that term and that idea that Copernicus had created the scientific revolution is actually a 20th century term. Mm. That's how slow. And this sort of speaks to what you're talking about: the co-opting of history and turning these historical figures into something that's that's um, convenient and, and usable. Yeah,
2: exactly. Uh, on behalf don't talk of about his astrology. Ooh. <laughs> yes, exactly.
3: Exactly. And there were some others who supported him, you know, through history, and that was uh, Michel de Montand. Um Sorry for my French listeners.
2: I don't speak French. I probably assassinated them. And, and And he's even Canadian, so it's worse. Yeah. Exactly. there you go. There you go. So yeah,
3: I knew you'd knew you'd know some <laughs> something about some of these people. Um, so what he argued, of course, was that um, epicurean and and stoic philosophers had favored, as you pointed out earlier, a heliocentric model long before Copernicus, because it questioned not because of some scientific matter, but because it questioned the importance of humanity and how humanity had placed itself,
2: at the center of the universe. Those people were questioning that.
3: They weren't questioning... And, and the
2: pre-Socrats too, but I don't know if they knew that already at the 1500s. They had fewer sources than we have today.
3: And something that's very important, of course, is that they he endorsed it because it went against the religion and law. This in sort of an institutionalized Aristotelism. That had become a religion and a law.
0: This
3: is a theme that we run into in science, right? Mm. For a time, there's great discoveries. And those discoveries come through usually because of individuals. And usually those people don't even put forward those ideas. And those ideas only come out and gain acceptance later. Because if they were to do it during their lifetime, they would have been subjected to so much harassment. Financial, public, political, social harassment for various reasons.
2: Absolutely.
3: And so is some kind of religion and some kind of law.
2: Yeah, I've been, you know that. You're a listener. I've been going on and on in these (laughs) these shows about it. How science is degenerated to a religious institution. And of course, that's what we call scientism. But you have a quote here I need to read. It's so crucial. It just, it just sums up everything. A defender of the free exercise of thought. Montagne, whatever, argued that (laughs) science is not a set of truths or laws. Mm -hmm. Science, he's argued, is only a dominant understanding at any given time that must always be questioned critically. That's true. And that's in science itself. Mm -hmm. It needs, it wants challenge, it needs challenge. And part of the problems today is... Uh, it's a two-fold problem. One, on the one side, uh, science is co-opted by commercial interests, profits, mm-hmm. big corporations. Yep. Yep. And so they're not r- uh, really trying to find out what is truth. They're trying to invent stuff to go along with their n- narrative, their truth. So they're trying to yeah. confirm well, truth. well, I
3: think what they're trying to do is create a power infrastructure that benefits them and has nothing to yeah. do with the advancement of science or, or yeah. truth or, or questioning anything it's just that okay we've got something it's powerful, let's build an infrastructure around it and establish Correct. our power and authority around
2: that so that we can ha- have a good time with that for the period of our lives. And that's number one Yeah. number two is the culture, there's a culture of pollution, uh, maybe it's generational it's this emotional tyr- tyranny, it's this this um, mm-hmm. Uh, ignoring facts for the sake of feelings for example mm-hmm. and uh, so there's political and there's scientific incorrectness now so well, there's, it's, you can't there's, research anything there's violent
3: anything. coercion Pardon? there's violent coercion involved And that violent coercion uh, always takes the form of some kind of uh, ability to function in society and removing that out of individuals' hands if they don't comply with the correct opinion, let's say. Yeah and and that is the violent coercion that is behind all of these religions and laws and
2: yeah um, and, and that yeah. I, I would say that's a number 3 uh, the cultural thing is, is isn't as organized as it's more just a, a reaction pollution of the users number 3 is what you're talking about and that's <laughs> it's an ideological takeover mm-hmm. and it's also of course it's the yeah it's this, it's the scientism co-opting st- uh, stuff instead of following the scientific route Mm-hmm. which is uh, fact-based and argumentation and falsification mm-hmm. and verification. Anyway, he was onto it already back then. So o- all the more kudos to him. Exactly. Next slide. Yeah. So,
3: again, I sort of get into Copernicus a little more and Montague.
2: I'll, do you want to read it? Do you want to read Montague, what he said? Montague? Uh, uh, Montagne? Don't. Montagne? Yeah, I think that's more likely, (laughs) Montaigne. This was a
3: call-in show. We could have somebody call in.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Correct us. Yeah, and he wrote, what should we take from this? Uh, He means Copernicus, heliocentric model. If not, that we should not take either one. Mm -hmm. And who knows? yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah the previous and his so the, the, right. the he, yeah yeah and who knows whether a third opinion a thousand years from now would not reverse the two preceding ones he's right mm-hmm. not even a thousand years already now you have this simulation model i just have to throw this in here that's funny you know how you have uh, the round earth uh, theory then you have mm-hmm. the flat Flatter earth yeah. theory and then you have the hollow earth theory right
3: Yeah.
2: now you would think that's three clear cut alternatives And (laughs) they are forever separated. But lo and behold, then comes the simulation theory. And one of the less known implications of the simulation theory is that it renders all the three other ones Mm. plausible Mm. at the same time. Mm. In other words, we can live in a universe where it's both flat, round, and hollow at the same time. And I don't mean... Like, in the donut model, yeah yeah no, I <laughs> the I'm... donut model makes it flat, round and hollow at the same time. I don't mean that. I mean that if this is a computer game, you can mm-hmm. you can kind of I don't know if you heard, did you hear my Anthony Peek into you? Yeah. called um, go ahead. yeah, it's called cracking Reality. No, I haven't heard. No. Okay, but there we talked about the simulation theory to its fullest extent. And so we are avatars, right? And uh, reincarnation, oh, Mm -hmm. I open a door, demons kill me, I die. Mm -hmm. Then I reincarnate with my second life avatar. And now I know not (laughs) to go into that room to the demons. That's the way we evolve, right? But here's the thing. You can set the game. From before you start it. Oops. And you can preset it with a hollow earth, a flat earth, or a, it's like a, just different colors in your profile, if you like. Yeah. <laughs> So they can all be true at the same time. Anyway, that's yeah, a detour.
3: I think, I th- well, no, I think I think what you're talking about is kind of a holistic ideology. It's, like a, it's the idea that, okay, well, it doesn't have to be one or the other. And I've taken this approach in the uh, Mayan series because there are hundreds of theories about why the Maya, the classic era, right. which is basically the ninth century, collapsed, right? right? And as somebody who's a Mayanist but I'm not affiliated to any sort of funding source or any kind of political academic infrastructure – I can obviously take from all of them and not have to select one and defend it. I can just look at them all with equal consideration and not be tied to um, selecting one or endorsing another for the purpose of my advancing my career. Mm. Uh, So this is exactly where most of these people come from, is the freedom of thought, right? And also the idea that, hey, you know what,
2: maybe all these things do coincide at once. Yeah, these 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 chefs were real free thinkers, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, had they had more facts available, they would probably, uh, you know, crack even more uh, than what they did. But uh, Kepler uh, and Braha is mentioned here; they are crucial. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Well, big part of this... Both of, course, of them are occultists, by the way.
3: Well, the interesting part of this is Montagne, let's say, mm-hmm. you know, he theorized it might take a thousand years for a new theory. And the reason being, of course, it had, yeah, the previous one had really dominated for more than a thousand years. That's where he's coming from. Yeah, But it, it only took a few years uh, for, you know, Tycho Brahe and Kepler and Galileo and Diggs and Gilbert and Rothman and all of these different groups, to different different individuals, coming from completely different um, yep. religious and cultural yep. milieus.
2: Astrologers, alchemists, yeah. all of them. Yeah,
3: I mean, obviously, you were an astrologer if you were an
2: astronomer, because they are one and the same. Yeah, exactly. And the same with chemistry and alchemy. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
3: So basically, what happened is that he kicked off a six decade kind of. Um, thought revolution, let's say. It did take some time for people to settle on the Copernican uh, model. Uh, and others were uh, brought up, of course. And But the interesting thing is that they all came out of different areas, right, and different mm-hmm. things. Like, uh, Tom Diggs and Gilbert were in England. Galileo was in, you know, Catholic, fanatic Italy. Melston um, and Rothman and Kepler were in Lutheran countries. Um, point is, Eventually, that is the scientific method at work.
2: They, they, they were burning witches in Lutheran countries too, so you weren't necessarily safe. Yeah. Yeah. No, no,
3: none of these places were safe. That's the point. None of these places were safe.
2: Mm.
3: I mean, these these types of things that we're going I mean, through we're now. We're crying
2: over we're crying over having a profile taken down. They had a body pulled out of existence. The,
3: not only a body, <laughs> they had their gizzards pulled out and their bodies yeah, burned yeah, to the stake. They <laughs> And they were tortured right. and they were like, they had, you know, not that I want to shame us for not liking what's going on. I wanted no, to no. point out that, you know, it was
2: really, really subversively dangerous. Uh, To even have. uh, Still, they were not just free thinkers, but they were outspoken about it too, which is amazing.
3: Delicately, delicately. When you get into a lot of their histories, they're very delicate about it and they needed support, and usually they gathered support before they would even vocalize any idea.
2: Yeah, yeah. Next slide. Uh, By the way, I wish you could see my bell. It's a beautiful, uh, (laughs) it's a Tibetan bell, it's what the monks use in the monasteries there. We'll take a picture uh, of it
3: and put it into
2: the edit. Yeah, I probably should. Going to be a part of the forum. So let's
3: get into it now. We've sort of covered Copernicus,
2: but Gilbert, William Gilbert, was the personal physician of Queen Elizabeth I. He was only her... 1544 to 1603, but I I can't square that because I thought John Dee was her personal physician.
3: Ah, uh, he only was from 1601 to 1603. He was really only at the end of her life. In fact, right. she died under his care, but it was at the end of her life.
2: That that may actually be after John Dee is dead, anyway. So, yeah.
3: Yeah. Well, yeah. He, well, whatever. He was. He was relieved of duty, and William G- Gilbert came in, and he was the uh, uh, personal physician of Queen Elizabeth. And this image is actually a painting of him demonstrating what we're going to talk about. But
2: it's kind of funny because I think it's John Dee to the right there. But he wasn't there at the same time, was he? He totally looks like that. I have no
3: idea. And you know what? You know what? This is a painting. It doesn't mean it's a representation of a factual moment in history. A lot of times they just gathered different people and put them all in the same room. This event maybe never occurred.
2: School of Athens, good example. Exactly. Okay, next slide. Mm Mm-hmm.
3: So what he did that is interesting uh, from the perspective of the history of electrical engineering is that he um, he produced a book called On the Magnet and the Magnet Bodies and on the Great Magnet, the Earth. That last part of it is a, is a theory. He created this thing called a Torella, which is Latin for Earth. It's a small magnetized metal ball that he used to simulate the Earth's magnetosphere and from these experiments concluded that the earth is itself magnetic and that this is the reason uh, compasses point north. Mm. The funny thing about that is there's a giant leap forward. I mean, I just can't it here very slowly, but you could write at least 10,000 pages on the intellectual evolution that he went through to come to that conclusion
2: on his own. Pretty much. I, I won't take away from his kudos, but you know, the ancient uh, initiates in Greece where we have the word magnet from, it comes from the city Magnesium, Mm -hmm. Uh, they knew these uh, same things about the magnet. They also invented small gizmos that they used. But uh, the problem is when the Abrahamic religions, when when, uh, Catholicism, Christianity, whatever you want to call it, became that powerful force and ousted paganism, not only did we lose... Atlantean-sourced philosophies and, and belief systems, spirituality. We mm-hmm. also lost the science. That's the important thing. So this is all rediscovery of what the ancients knew. And, you know, we ha- you have to think reversed about it. It's like this. The further back you go, the more advanced you have to assume that the science was. Exactly. Of course, beyond... Uh, the deluvian kind of wall, separation. Yeah, Yeah, Mm -hmm. we can only speculate, right? But Mm -hmm. when we see the fragments started out the best and then decay, and and then you could say that maybe the bottom point is the Middle Ages, and then it starts getting up again. Of course, the Reformation, the Renaissance... Uh, and everything else, the industrial revolution, all that stuff. So,
3: well, that's an excellent. That's an excellent summation.
2: So that's yeah. why I'm not taking away from Gilbert, but I'm just saying it wasn't like the first time.
3: No, no, no. I'm I'm not uh, suggesting that you are. In fact, I'm no. listening and th- saying to myself, you know, you're just giving an excellent thesis for the cycle of the yugas. Right. Right. Yes. You that's know, exactly. whatever the actual time periods of the yugas are. If there is a time period, it's definitely a cyclical rise and fall of consciousness. And of course, yes, this is a reclamation. This is a crawling, (laughs) literally slow crawling through the mud reclamation of things that were previously uh, known. I believe you're right. Yeah, I believe you're right. But
2: sometimes stuff goes also in leaps, not just this slow drip, drip, drip that uniformitarians wants us to believe.
3: And this is one of the leaps. This this whole leaping sort of uh, phenomena takes off right around yeah. Gilbert, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well,
2: Copernicus, but that was a seismic shift. That was that came
3: out of just the absolute.
2: It's good we have leaps actually because it kind of harmonizes the fact that we also have uh, sudden collapses. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they exactly. kind of exactly. balance. Well, okay. we're in that
3: we're in that phase, I think. And and yeah, yeah. let's go to the next one. Next one. Mm-hmm. So again, previous to Gilbert, the theory or the common belief was that the North Star or perhaps a large magnetic mountain located at the North Pole generated the magnetic field that attracted compasses. <laughs> so you can imagine everybody walking around in England fantasizing about a mountain you know, right. somewhere in the north. And And Gilbert was the first of orthodox history. So I, I'm just underlining what you said earlier. This is orthodox history, right? um uh-huh. uh, to argue that the center of the earth is an iron ball, and he related that magnets can be cut such that each new piece forms its own new magnet with north and south poles. And as it turns out, Gilbert was correct in that. It is possible to divide a magnet down to its fundamental level of an individual electron mm. with its own magnetic dipole. Now that doesn't mean that electrons are the end all be all you got protons too, and that we get into that oh. uh, how the two play off together in magnetic fields later, but Point is, these are it is it is hard to know where it comes from, because he might have been part of a Like this is what I wanted to discuss a little bit was the idea that maybe there is sort of a secret society that is continuing to pass down this information and drip it out over time.
2: When they think it's safe. I don't think it's one. I know which uh, groups many of these people belong to. It's different groups, but many of these groups are inspired by each other or they inherited mm-hmm. from each other, but they had to fight hard because everyone wanted to destroy what they got. It's not like, look, if it was like one elite, powerful group who somehow uh, influenced the entire earth. Although when you see at the power bastions at Earth back then, you find stuff like uh the Catholic Church, the Muslims, etc. So it's weird that they would have have that power. But even if they had it, why wouldn't they just come out with everything? Mm-hmm. So plus another thing, they weren't materialists. That's what something that was hijacked and taken over by the power forces. You know, there's really two forces in the world, there's creative forces and the decay forces. Now vampires like the corporations and like the elites, etc., they they don't create. They don't actually invent anything, bring an- anything new. They go after what is already being invented or, or created. And they try to to hijack that, and it 's the same thing everywhere, even in science. so these people risk their lives, and many of them uh, had access because mm-hmm. if you are a thinking person and you live in a very suppressive time, the best way for you to get access to sources that are not a part of the ruling narrative is precisely to go underground and connect with other people who has done the same. Look what we preserved in my family. look what we preserved in in uh, this neighborhood, in this institution, in uh, whatever. And so you have to network like that. And I think we'll see that again in the future because it looks to me as if the suppression and the censorship is going to be so strong. Mm. They are arresting people for stuff they say at Facebook. I mean, (laughs) it's taking off, right? So eventually secret societies will once again not just be associated with something bad, like they would be in a very open society where everything was on the table and yeah. it was positive to come out with stuff. Now we're kind of... And there's always been at Earth at the same time being cultures where you, you could be open with things and you could not. Well,
3: that's a great point. So even
2: in the 70s, mm-hmm. which were probably the decade for the last 150 years, that has been the freest ever mm. on so many levels. Mm. Uh, even then, there was areas at Earth where you would be killed if you expressed the wrong view.
3: Yeah, but- I mean, the easiest way to say that is that, that history is interpreted according to the moment.
2: Right, yeah, and
3: whatever. And the same in archaeology, right? If, uh, chauvinism, it, whatever it is that is the dominant view of contemporary society, chauvinism. Yeah, whatever's contemporary is sort of the influence. It yeah. influences everything, interpretation of, of everything.
2: Which is very anti-historical, actually. <laughs> yeah. and anti-scientific for that matter. This is
3: this is why I love the idea. I've been uh, talking with a friend on on um, blockchain and cryptocurrencies and stuff, and we talk about. We have a podcast that we've been developing. We've got about 22 episodes. But one of the things we talked about was a blockchain for history, something that is immutable, that would allow people to record their personal thoughts and feelings. Kind of like if you could record everything that's being said on, uh, say, Facebook or Google or email or whatever, not for the purpose of, you know, an an inquisition, but simply to have an immutable um, primary archive. Which to always go back to and understand the perception of the day as opposed to constantly interpreting history from the perspective of what's modern and true today Mm. um, would be an interesting, interesting thing. I don't know if it's possible, but at least if it could be done for at least 100 years,
2: (laughs) that would forever change uh, the course of humanity. Well, it's not just if it's, if it's viable, it's also how can we avoid it being co-opted and abused? Because that's always what well, happens. Well, that's
3: right. the point of the blockchain technology, right? Yeah. The,
2: the immutable nature
3: of it or potentially mutable nature of it. Damn.
2: You know what? We, we need, we need to uh, bake that discussion in sometime too, because uh, <laughs> I always wanted to ask someone who are crypto enthusiasts about mm. the potential downsides of it and i want to be convinced i want cryptos to be the solution well i have
3: a friend that i could uh, introduce you to that you could do a couple three episodes with that i've been talking yeah. to. yeah that- well let's
2: start with one episode totally well, whatever up.
3: whatever the point is that uh, you could do something like that i could certainly okay. introduce you to somebody
2: let's get back to that after you want to go sure. back to the picture here well that's him that's him so let's move <laughs> on him. Then. Yeah. yeah
3: handsome yeah. guy Interesting. Uh, I love that, that, that style of the,
2: the neck. <laughs> you Really? Those uh, things they had around the neck? Francis Bacon? I just find it
3: so interesting. I mean, male, male fashion today is just so boring. <laughs> and back in those days, at least if you were moneyed, you could do all kinds of things and, and get away with it. I think the steampunk
2: period of Tesla was pretty good.
3: It was pretty good, but they didn't have neck uh, cakes and pies. You know what I mean? Like They, they had some fun stuff in the yeah, old days.
2: I always thought they, they looked retarded, <laughs> but... Anyway. Well,
3: they do, but they're, it's still fun, you know. And like to <laughs> think that you could walk out the door and be dressed like that with like, kind of almost like a like a like a mushroom. Oh my God.
2: You, you should go to the Rococo era. mushroom
3: pants and and, yeah. and like tights, you know, and all kinds of fun stuff. I mean, it would be just fun for a day to be able to walk outside like that and not be looked at like you're an absolute sane person.
2: Have you watched the Black Adder series? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. You, you find a good... Yeah. Uh, see the different episodes and the different fashions. Oh,
3: my God. I think <laughs> season two of The Black Adder is, one, is basically my favorite, and it really comes from this era. Too.
2: In terms of comedy or in terms of the fashion?
3: Comedy, everything, everything. The, the characters, because you know how they switch the characters, yeah. and and they were different ones. Uh, it was Fantastic! What an what a se- what a season of an amazing series.
2: In season two is the first season where Baldrick becomes a retard. Mm. In season one, he's actually the genius.
3: That's right, exactly. This is why I liked Baldrick <laughs> as the retarded goose.
2: Well, of course, he
3: was. And Be- the Black Adder as a as a as a as a nobleman was just yeah. fantastic. Like his. His sarcasm was beyond belief. It was so good. I just love it. I mean, yeah. some people don't get it. They really don't. No,
2: it's it's different kinds of humor, you know.
3: I've introduced so. it to people, various girlfriends. Yeah. They just some of them just never got yeah, it. Still, never. I mean,
2: there are some classics like Forty Towers. Yeah, 40 will Towers never be, is great. Too. It, it's still relevant, right? And I think the yeah. same with Blackadder. But there is one now. That's made now that will be like that. Mm-hmm. It would be a tower in the future, and that's curb your enthusiasm.
3: Yeah, it's a great one too. Mm. Yeah. Okay, let's. And the uh, Mighty Boosh. I don't know if you ever saw The Mighty Boosh, but I really like The Mighty Boosh. The as Mighty Douche? Boosh. Boosh. Mighty Boosh. Yeah, it's a British comedy uh, series as well. Just unbelievably interesting and funny. At the but same, but there was
2: point. one very underestimated one that kind of paved the way for stuff like The Office and uh, Curb. And that's, um, what was his name? He had a fake, he played like one of these late night comedy show people, (laughs) Uh, but it was like a fake one. Interesting. I don't know if I know that. Larry the Larry Sanders
3: show. Oh, Larry Sanders. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I never got into him too much. But yeah, I, I remember that format. I was still into, uh, I still enjoy. He had
2: the- one very good series and that's the one called Larry Sanders show or something. Mm. Sounders show. Mm. And it's, it's kind of like The Office and Curb Your Enthusiasm. It's just, you know, everybody was looking at Seinfeld when that was going on. Mm -hmm. So people didn't, it didn't get enough air, but it's Mm -hmm. just as funny as Seinfeld and it's much more innovative. Mm -hmm. It's much more like what was produced today. He was the first who made made it that way. Everyone has copied after that. Anyway, we're well, taking off... get off of
3: comedy series because <laughs> we're looking at a picture, a beautiful picture of uh, Otto von Goerich. Yeah,
2: we're taking off. Sorry, folks. A good thing this is long form, so we'll have time to... Yeah, yeah. To, no, this
3: is yeah. great. No, I, I actually enjoyed yeah. that. I just wanted to bring us back. Yeah. So uh, Otto von Goerich, of course, German, right? Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: 1602 to
3: 1686. So now um, we're at the,
2: at the Renaissance.
3: Yeah, we're getting into it. So... Basically, he's born in Magdenburg, and this is a history that I find fascinating, that within this climate, these amazing leaps were still taking place because he was born in Magdenburg. Uh, he was 16 when the uh, 13-year war broke out. No, I'm not an expert in 13-year war, but in researching Otto, I've discovered that you know this was quite the thing. Uh, you know, this conflict
2: was fought primarily in modern-day Germany and Central Europe. Yeah, this is actually this is when uh, mechanical stuff is starting to get much better. They starting to get real. This is,
3: he's, he's, he's part of this, right? Mm. So so um, it was estimated that the military and civilian deaths. Were four point five to eight million people. I mean, that's World War Two level, mm. and that was just inside Central Europe. I mean, that's an epic, mm. epic.
2: And there wasn't even that many millions around back then, so it's even worse. My God, well, took care of four point five to eight million of them.
3: <laughs> it's mm. incredible to me. So let's go to the next slide. Yep. Ah,
2: oh, I know this picture.
3: So he was sixteen when this this uh, war broke out, and this is a painting of Magdeburg here. And this is the sacking of Magdeburg. Now, he had to flee uh, just before it was sacked. Uh, but this is one of the, the main uh, events of that war. It was just absolutely devastating. But he returned a couple of years later. Um, and due to his engineering education, he was appointed to the reconstruction committee for the city. And that was sort of the door that opened for him. Now, he had lost everything, his family fortune and everything. So he became
2: a brewer of uh, beer right. uh, to
3: re his fortune.
2: Well, I have a question. Why didn't you start with Da Vinci? Because he really invented a lot of stuff that has been built upon later.
3: I know. I mean, I like I, because I wanted to do this in a month. And if you get into Da Vinci, my right. God,
2: I okay, mean, okay. Get
3: Jesus it. Christ! You know, yeah. like I, I had to do this in a hundred slides because that's another limitation of Canva, the platform I was using, is that I would have to switch over and create a new, you know, thing. Right. Anyway, so I decided to limit it to a hundred so that I would have a limit. Otherwise, I could literally go on and on. Uh, forever. Fair enough. Uh, I, I think that that he deserves his own. Show. His own uh, show, yeah. yeah. Not only a show, I would like to do, like, you know, I'm doing one on Tesla. I've been doing one on the Mayan calendar. I would like to do one on Da Vinci. Like, I've seen a couple of series on Da Vinci, and they're interesting. just awful. Okay. Uh And I think that he would be very interesting to do because what happens typically in these mainstream series is that they just forget the science or the real nuts and bolts of why somebody is famous. Yeah. and they just go into the you know the soap opera of his life yeah. or her life yeah. and and i think that that's great but you have to have the actual core of what that person is doing otherwise forget it
2: yeah but i would really recommend you to if you're going to do something like that make sure you also read the more obscure stuff because of course, uh, of course the mainstream course. biographers aren't catching everything rego- oh, interesting i
3: downloaded all of his books I have all right. of his books. Yeah. Okay. So you know I've got the primary uh, sources, and um, actually that's something I'm offering for sale as well on the site. So if you go to Patreon, I'm just going to plug it. Yes. That's the Man of Light, and you um, you become a a, a um, supporter, and whatever you can see what the categories are. But if you do the top one, I just feed you so much. You be, there's so much that becomes available to you that uh, I don't make available to. You through any of the other channels
2: including original documents all the original documents uh, available um,
3: in high definition i've done an enhancement process as well using ai technology so a lot of these images that are pretty you know pixelated and or terrible scans or whatever they're now in a format that you could print and put on the
2: size of a wall so what oh. are uh, what are these clouds we're seeing on the pictures? Are they cannons being shot or machines? Um,
3: yeah, there's there's some cannon fire. There's uh, fires breaking out, but it's mostly cannon fire. Yeah, mm.
2: okay, uh, yeah. Next. So yeah, there you go. So
3: this is where we get into his oh, wow. stuff.
2: Look at that.
3: So inspired by the Copernican heliocentrism, there was a little it's very subtly mentioned in Copernican's concept of a, of a heliocentric um, universe is the idea of a vacuum in space. Right. And he just got really fascinated with this. And so what he did is he created these, Magdenburg spheres where he was able to pump out all the the air from inside of it and these were two spheres that were not connected they didn't get bolted together or anything like that he just used the power of the suction of vacuum Mm. to demonstrate that that um that the vacuum had some kind of mechanical value let's go to the next slide yep so that's an image uh, from a painting of them, him demonstrating this. So he was invited to demonstrate this in front of the um, the Holy Roman Emperor. And so what they did is he put the two spheres together and pumped all the air out. And then they had a team of, of uh, eight horses on both sides, or sorry, six horses on both sides. And the horses couldn't pull them apart. Now, remember, this is back in the day when they used to put humans in between two teams of six horses aside and pull them apart. So the psychological impact of not being able to pull these two spheres apart was, you know, acquainted with (laughs) the horrors that people watched of people being pulled apart. They thought it was magic. Yeah, they thought it was magic. Exactly. (laughs) And actually, those are, by the way, the spheres in the back, you can kind kind of see it in the faint in the background there those are the actual original spheres Mm. that he created
2: yeah okay Mm
3: -hmm. next slide yep same with garrick again so sometime before 1663 he invented a primitive form of the electrostatic generator which was really a frictional electrical machine this is just a sulfur globe attached to a wheel that he was able to spin while he was touching it with his hand and this built up static electricity Mm. he started playing with this idea and so by rubbing the sphere with a dry hand as he rotated it in the other Gurk was able to generate static electricity, which caused it to alternately attract or repel objects. And that's something, a phenomenon that he observed and keenly noted. <clears throat> and this is a 19th century French wood engraving of that moment in his life. Mm. Next. Of course. You can imagine he had no concept of the potential of the electrostatic generator. But the through line here is that it evolved into modern-day capacitors. And those are used in, you know, without getting into the full technological breakdown. Those are in uh, your DRAM, your DRAM drives, your flash drives. Um, it's one of the most important components of a particle accelerator. Um, so the Garrick electrostatic generator evolved uh, from its rudimentary form. Wow. Into
2: it's been with us for 200 years or uh, It's
3: 150? been with us for 400 years. 400 basically years. Th- three, yeah, basically 400, 380 years at this point, wow.
2: somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. That's an important invention.
3: Uh, yeah. So it evolved into, I've got them depicted here, the Holtz influence machine and, and Tesla used one of those as well uh a Wimhurst machine he used an evolved version of it of course and then um the Wimphurst machine which really is depicted here an original version of it and now it's part of the world's largest um particle accelerators uh it's called the world's largest Van de Graaff generator built in 1937 by the Westinghouse Electric Company and is extremely important if you get into um uh, you know, the whole uh, Nazi bell stuff. Mm. Yeah. So building up huge amounts of electricity that can be discharged in a single blast is really what we're talking about. So
2: I believe John Keeley also was into something yeah, like this. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's so many things that, uh, that
3: this is applied to. Um, you know, it's also important in, in x-ray machines. Um, X-ray beams, actually, for nuclear research and nuclear medicine. Um, so, yeah, it's used to sterilize food and process materials as well as producing um, energetic X-ray beams. c
2: so, okay. Yeah,
3: yeah. Again, you know, people can get this in print. So if they want to buy this as a coffee table book, they can. Yeah. Um, so Sir Isaac Newton shows up.
2: Now, I let me just say, let me just say, yeah. alchemist, astrologist, mm. Freemason, ritual magician. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he was into a whole host of different obscure matters. He was a Rosicrucian too, I think. Yep. Anyway, he's of course well known, of course, so we yeah. don't have to go too now, much on about it. This
3: gets back to your conversation about these different. Secret society. So your idea is that there were many of them. They were sometimes inspired by each other. Oh,
2: it's not just my idea. It's my—I know it's for a fact. And they—they were decentralised fragments, surviving survivors of something bigger that came before. But mm-hmm. of course, uh, as anything else, it too evolves. So by the time of Sir Isaac Newton, some of these things have managed to become powerful. Like, if you look at the masons, we had some shows about their origins, and it turns out that they are just a survival of the Norse tradition. Mm -hmm. And they were at a very poor situation in the beginning. Mm -hmm. So they were more like the locals who lived in the British areas of the Vikings Mm -hmm. But after a while, as especially uh, when Newton appears in the 1700s, they create the first Grand Lodge, as they call it, in England, United Grand Lodge. And Mm -hmm. they start to get influenced. They start to become powerful. You know, there's a new middle class coming up. The bourgeois, right? Industrial Revolution is at foot. And so it's not just the nobles anymore. Mm-hmm. And, so, and they also have a strong middle class in terms of people who do practical work, carpenters. Uh, mm-hmm. And the Masons were, were part of this. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. they managed to... to but, but many groups remained more obscure or did not become a part of the new elite. So even though you have some uh, groups like the Masons who has, of course, conflated with... you Remember another thing. Any group which is huge, like the Masons is also prone to be infiltrated by any power player out there, not just stuff like CAA, but everyone who had some vested interest for some reason or another. It's not just, even not just the Intel organizations that do Intel work, like, uh, even before they, uh, remember the Intel organizations are basically the states. Tools, mm-hmm. but you have private groups like the Catholic Church had their own intel, of course, like yeah, of course, yeah. the Inquisition and the Jesuits and Opus Dei and you name it. So yeah, and they had
3: their vaults too. They had all these uh, documents uh, locked away in their vaults. I mean, they went after it. They went after this. Stuff.
2: Oh, absolutely. But bottom line, there's there's infighting, there's different power groups, and remember. Many of these spiritual groups are not here for power. Uh, You could say the Masons started to dabble with power. But uh, then again, you could also argue that the Masons aren't really an esoteric group. They're more a fraternity. So uh, it's complex. The image is complex. But one thing is for sure. People like Newton, back in the day, it would be an advantage to become, for example, a Mason because Mm. most of the people who were Masons were also the people who, they were not materialists they were the same people who were calling for a reformation to get out of the suppressive Catholic view. Remember the Rosicrucian documents were a part of the reformation basically. Mm -hmm. So they wanted to break with the chains of their day the, the suppression and the censorship of their day Mm -hmm. and many masons were involved in the revolutions which were necessary although of course every revolution eats its children Mm -hmm. new power new elite but doesn't mean that it wasn't warranted in the first place so we do the exact same mistake if we take our contemporary time and project our biases and values and how stuff is here and now and put it onto the past then we do what we criticise the other people of doing, right? Which is anti-history. In order to mm. understand history, we have to understand the contemporary zeitgeist. What was the options? How was yeah. the... F- Right? And that's what people yeah. don't do.
3: Uh, well, we are doing it. I, I have yeah. to say, I am actively doing it. <laughs> yeah, we have to try. Because it's it's very much necessary if I'm going to survive the um, purge that is coming, this intellectual <laughs> yeah. purge, economic purge that is coming, where um, basically all... all uh, They're all in um, the same boat. Um, what is it? All right opinion... That is being foisted on everybody with this violent coercion, yeah. uh, right to the point of genetic manipulation, is terrifying, and it's something that you know we're all sort of being faced with right now. And those who are aware of it are making choices based on the you know the necessity of today.
2: But I'm still hopeful because uh, they couldn't stop the story of the bio leak. Uh, and a way that was forced onto the public narrative, it was uh, the mainstream kicking and screaming. But now we're there, we managed. So I'm hopeful the same can be done with events.
3: Well, I don't think that's a big deal because, you know, you look at the recent history of uh, Hollywood. I mean, it's nothing but zombie movies with bio leaks in it. So this has just been mainstream news for the last
2: 20 years. Really, as far as I'm yeah, but, but because something is in Hollywood doesn't mean that people. In fact, that's the main way they manage to get people not believing in something is because they hijack it in Hollywood and put out a fantasy version. Yeah, but not the, the UFOs, the UFOs has been a part of Hollywood for decades. Yeah,
3: but this is a conditioning of psychology, right? It's a conditioning apparatus. It's, I mean, it's an arm of the CIA. We know now by following the money that it's part of the CIA. So.
2: I know, but but I have the opposite interpretation. I know some people think oh it's a way to make us accept it. I never understood that. It's the opposite. No. It's to make us no, not no. accept it. As soon no, as they to me, see it gets,
3: it gets down to the ether. This gets down to what is collective conscience and how does it operate in the ether format. This is this right. is what I sort of get into. Now we can have that discussion probably in the next episode, but I think that Okay, we can get back to that point then. The yeah, we can get back to that because I think that… Because there's is, more to say. Yes, I think there's a lot there.
2: It's a very interesting point. It should be discussed. Yeah. Although it may seem like a detour, it's, it's so crucial. But anyway, let's go back to Sir Isaac. No I,
3: think no, I think I think what we're discovering here is the history of electrical engineering is the mechanical methodology of how to manipulate the ether. And if you understand mm. or if you believe or can have some kind of uh, empirical proof, that it is an apparatus of collective conscience and all materia produced out of it, then you have a science for, <laughs> for uh, you know, millennia. How? Yeah, I mean, the implications are gigantic. And and manipulating collective conscience and getting people to think in a certain direction it doesn't matter what their beliefs are. The kinesiological impact is the same. Mm. So anyway, the point about Newton here, because we didn't really cover this slide, is that um, he's his idea was that every particle attracts every other particle in the universe mm. with a force that is directly proportional to the product of the, their masses and inversely proportional to the square of the distance between their centers. Now, I don't know that anybody out there understands what the hell that is. But basically what we're talking about is a rudimentary understanding of the mathematics that we'll come to of how the electron and the protons work at the atomic level,
2: yeah, but basically these guys, when they talk about uh, magnetism and uh, and particles uh, of matter, they're really talking about the part of existence which is they talk about the material world which is haunted by dualism down mm-hmm. r- right down to the particle level, but of course mm-hmm. later enters the third kind of point which. Elevates the whole notion to a higher understanding, to a higher level. Namely, photons enter, and photons are the only particles which are not dual; they are singular. And oh, there's many
3: actually. There's many, but they're they're not dipole. There there aren't any, at least that we know of, uh, in orthodox scientific literature, anything that comes with a monopole. We haven't found that yet. Well, uh, At least that, that we know of, that I know of. Now, that might exist in nature, and it doesn't really matter if it does.
2: Are you saying photons are not? No,
3: no, they're not, um, they're not electrically charged one way or another. They, they have...
2: Exactly. Yeah. So what do you mean with monotone? Then?
3: Well, you know, an electron has a positive charge and a, and a proton has a negative charge. Yeah. And the protons and the, neg- and the, and the electrons um, coincide to produce a magnetic field. So if we're sticking with... The- and
2: then you have neutrons, which are neutral. But my point is that photons aren't a part of that... That model, yeah. Plus that model. minus, yeah. neutral, because as soon as you're there, you're trapped in polarity, dualism, dualism. dualism. and and yeah. magnetism is an effect of that. Now, with the photons and later also bio-photons, we're starting to see higher laws in operation. But never mind, it's not relevant for this slide anyway. Let's get back to well.
3: That. The thing that I wanted to point out about this slide is that that they turned this into a law. <laughs> yeah, that's
2: right. <laughs> and the interesting
3: know. thing is that you know they turned it into a law, but I mean they don't know how gravity works, and they can't reproduce it in the in the uh, in the laboratory. So even though it's a law, they really don't have a goddamn clue. Mm. That's the point. They've made this into a law. Mm. So while Newton was able to formulate his theory of gravity, he was deeply uncomfortable with the notion of action at a distance. This is something that's very interesting. Action at a distance is, well, we'll get into it, but basically action at a distance is the idea that, um, let's say for instance, I'm going to use something that we're going to come across in a slide later, but you have a, a volt battery. So, voltaic pile, and you create an electrical uh, discharge off of it because it's basically a standing electrical fire, which is an amazing um, advancement. And then over here, you have a compass; it's about ten feet away. And every time sparks come off that um, that battery, the the compass moves. Well, that's action at a distance, right? But there seems to be nothing in
2: between that facilitates that. And this is here is born the concept of ether. And quantum physics would freak him out. But yeah. uh, it says through an intervening medium, he called the ether. He did call it the ether. I mean, well, he called it the ether. But so that's true. But he didn't okay. coin that term, obviously.
3: Well, he called it in his he called it in his own literature the ether. He used the term, whether it was something that yeah. he coined or not. Right. He used the term. To describe it because it was something that was, to him, indescribable, so he used a convenient term that had already been established.
2: No, it was very describable, but it's something that he was trained in, uh, esoterically. The ether concept has been here since, uh, I mean, it's ancient Greek, but you have the same concept in Akasha, it's called in the Hindu. Everybody, Egypt, everybody had their own, I'm I'm sure the Mayans have a word for it too. Maybe you even know it. Do you know their, their word for it? Yeah, it's uh, well. There's a lot of terms for it, right?
3: In in Mayan history, but you know, let's just say yes, they did have many terms for it.
2: And and later, of course, we we get people like who who insist on their own terms, like uh, Orgon from um, Reich. Mm -hmm. I don't know if Reich is featured in this series because he's after Tesla. No. No, no, no. So then we can mention him. He's a worthy successor. I think he even knew Tesla. He certainly knew and cooperated with Einstein. But you have organ, you have, uh, of course, uh, torsion, mm-hmm. um, as in this Russian guy, Kozirev. Yeah. yeah, the torsion field. Well, that's specific uh, Tachyon. to that. Italian scientists are calling it Tachyon, the Tachyon well, field. Well,
3: that goes back to the, the upper structure of Tesla's tower.
2: Ah, yeah. Interesting. Uh You tell us that when we get there. Uh But anyway, should we move on to Mm -hmm. the next slide, or are we done with this one?
3: Well, this to me is interesting because he promoted the idea, and and this slide does not discount the fact that it was metaphysically described, but we're talking about action at a distance from an actual electrical magnetic, which they didn't even know they were talking about electromagnetics at this point, but they were trying to find the source of this action at a distance. Now, of course, you can describe it in metaphysical terms, and it was. But he used the ether in order to... Or in to, quantum
2: physics terms. That's microphysical yes, terms. Yes, but we're talking about at that time.
3: At that time, between 1642 and 1727... They only had the mechanical. Ether was, yeah, yeah. The ether was the most logical and most accessible terminology that could be used. And he just used it out of convenience because yeah. he couldn't come up with any kind of... Um theory to explain how the ether worked or what it was he just he observed action at a distance, just like a lot of others, and so he kept pointing towards this. Now, I call it the birth of the ether because not because of its um roots in metaphysics. it obviously had a le- a huge legacy before that but uh, it's from a from a electrical engineering perspective, this is the birth of its use from that perspective from that branch mm-hmm. of science it becomes something that they use and it becomes a theory that they kind of tried to prove mm. um, in, in a... In a uh, in, like in the a,
2: Greeks tried to with their aeons... which were the particles in the ether. There were waves and particles. But anyway, like I said before, Mm -hmm. we were big on science in ancient times and we started to get big on science after the Renaissance. Right, and so
3: this is what happens, right? And so I make the through path to Thunderbolts because really I think this is, like I've had a long time to look at Thunderbolts and I've had a long time to look at Tesla and I've had a long time to look at the electrical, the history of electrical engineering, and I think they're all the same thing. I think this, this sort of peak that Tesla reached, is everything that Thunderbolts is now proving.
2: Right, electrical universe people, for
3: those who don't know. And it is the luminous, what do they call it? Uh, Well, it's in another slide, so let's get to the next slide. Luminous sphere? No, you'll see later.
2: Oh, look at that.
3: So Newton suggested that the existence of an ether in the third book of optics published in 1704 and again in 1718 with upgrades. In his own words, doth not this ethereal medium in passing out of water, (laughs) glass, crystal, and other compact and dense bodies and empty spaces grow denser and denser by degrees. And by that means refract the rays of light, not in a point, but by bending them gradually in curved lines. The reason I say the ether becomes a scientific term at this point is because he's looking at the nature of light and he has a an actual test.
2: Yeah, let me describe this beautiful illustration here because it's animated. So we see his mm-hmm. famous um, uh, experiment through, um, uh, what you say in English? Christ, crystal refraction. Crystal, crystal refraction. Yeah. So mm-hmm. so breaking up the colors, the colors are moving here. Um, mm-hmm. But there's not seven of them. Is there one, two? Yeah, there's seven. Looks like six. Is there Seven. No, there's seven. Oh, okay. Five, six, seven. Yep, seven. Okay.
3: So, I mean, you have to look at the far right. Uh,
2: he, he's splitting it with a prism.
3: Yes, there you go, crystal prism. There you go, refraction. So here emerges the concept of light as a wave passing through a medium in space. This is why it, I say it departs from the metaphysm, meta, metaphysical terminology that had sort of Been carried through those dark ages and became a practical, scientific, repeatable um, experiment, Mm
2: -hmm.
3: which is which is hard science. Yep. So this is this is the emergence of hard science from the perspective of electrical engineering. And and electrical engineering is the the study of light because we'll see why later.
2: How is the so-called dark matter different from the ether concept? Oh I don't want
3: to get into dark matter because dark matter, in my opinion, I share the same opinion as uh previous guest, I forget his name, but the really the spearhead of the Thunderbolts project, yeah. I, I don't buy into almost anything that they talk about at this no. point. And they they just came out with recently I saw a news flash, I think two days ago or something, that all the dark matter in the visible universe has now been quantified and so on and so yeah. forth. And, yeah. and I just feel like they're And Einstein
2: was wrong. So Yes, exactly. So but the point is, uh, they're just using new and fancy words for old concepts.
3: Sure, and they're repackaging it for their own use, yeah. but what they have failed. And they call it
2: matter. It's really energy, of course. But they, of, of course. course, call it matter.
3: Yeah, you could even say it's dark light.
2: Exactly. Dark matter. is prima materia. I, I could buy that. The first sure. matter, what you need sure. to make something out of. But Yeah, um, you
3: could call it the ether.
2: Yeah. Okay, let's move that's on That's really on. the
3: point I'm making. That, that's actually the point I'm making here. That's one of the through lines that I'm... I'm uh, okay. And if you connect that dot, then then you're not disconnected. The way things are disconnected now, like dark matter just comes out of nowhere and it's this new thing. And we're doing it now because we're great and our science is the best science exactly. in history. Yeah. BS, right? Mm. Uh, but if you connect it to the ancients, which obviously this guy, does, right? Yeah. Now, Sir Isaac Newton is a turning point. He is a deep, 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 dark, old metaphysical ethereum to scientifically rec, uh, replicatable experiments in the laboratory. Mm. Same thing, still the ether. But we're getting into hard science at this point, empirical yeah. science. Yeah. So the next slide. So this, this precursor of the famous slit um, experiment, uh, that was reproduced at the atomic level at one point. But Newton produced this sketch to demonstrate how this medium might be facilitating this um, separation of light into various colors. Mm. So you could read it if you'd like, since you have a better
2: voice than I do. It's not this medium, is not this medium much rarer within the dense bodies of the sun, stars, planets, and comets than in the empty celestial space between them. And in passing from them to great distances... Does it not grow denser and denser perpetually and thereby cause the gravity of those great bodies towards one another and of their parts towards the bodies, everybody endowering to go from the denser parts of the medium towards the rarer? Well, I suppose it was a fair theory back in the day, but there's a lot of things that is kind of tearing apart that. Oh yeah, of course, of course, yeah, of course, yeah, of
3: course. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to quote him because this is where they were at, right? I mean, we're looking right. at the history. We're talking about the intellectual wave that, that Tesla wrote. And this is an important I mean, the observation
2: is fair enough, but it's not a, it's not a causation. No, no. It's no. just a correlation.
3: I think the most important part of this is that they were trying to understand motion that they were observing in outer space. Yeah. Right. And there is a big difference. And I want to make people understand this, uh, not make them understand, but hope that they do understand. There's a big difference between the physical realities that govern the so-called laws of physics that exist on planet Earth versus what goes on in space, because the conditions are vastly different. But Mm. the laws of of science are blanketed. Mm. And that's the problem. Mm. (laughs) there's this kind of um ideology that's still in place among common people and even among the pinnacles of uh, modern academia that we live in a closed system. Mm. That's where this whole idea of uh, of um of lack comes from. Mm-hmm. The whole concept of lack right down to the personal I lack money. All the way up to we lack the resources.
2: Scar- yeah, the scarcity model is, or it's a pest and a exactly, plague. Exactly,
3: exactly, exactly. And this is part of the subtle—I don't know if it's a deliberate scam, but it's certainly something that has been born out of the scientific materialism, that is this idea of scarcity. Mm. And it's ironic built? that they
2: used it is ironic that they used Newton to justify materialism <laughs> when he was anything but a materialist. It's the same way The guy was out in space, man. The guy was where in space. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and they do the same in terms of the evolution theory. The real um, I mean, we all know that Darwin was Christian, of course, but the real guy behind evolution theory is um, what's his name again? Russell? Russell. No, not Rousseau. Russell, I think. Oh, okay. um, Oh, Russell. Okay, I don't know who. Ah, is. Uh, is it Russell? Ah, uh, I'm I'm blanking on his name. Mm-hmm. You know, the guy who actually did the research and everything, and he he was looking for a consciousness element. Mm, and that's mm. what they should have is done. Is that in
3: one of your episodes uh, on uh,
2: parapsychology? Is
3: Because I love those episodes. I thought they were yeah. fantastic. Those were fantastic. That is just proof of the… Skeptical. Uh, there,
2: you know, Alex Securius, he did a whole
3: episode on that. That's this. the guy. I love that episode that you guys yeah. did. It was fantastic. And it really… Which one? Um, the one that basically gets into all the experiments around uh, parapsychology that prove that remote viewing works. And, he always does that in all shows. Yeah, yeah, I know. But, I mean, they were just so good. And the people that he was talking about.
2: Why scientism is wrong about everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, all that stuff. Oh, it's amazing. People haven't been watching that show. Yeah, I don't know why. It's oh, so good. It. I love it. Yeah, and and you know what? It, it
3: speaks to everything that's going on in this slide presentation. It does. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, and,
3: in fact, I was listening to that <laughs> when I was doing this. <laughs> that's why you're mentioning it. <laughs>
2: Having it fresh and you know,
3: Well, that was one yeah. of the episodes I was listening to. I spent a month on this, so that was definitely one of them that
2: uh, coincided. You should listen to the other stuff <laughs> i had done with Alex, too. Oh, I
3: did. I'd listened to all three episodes and I. I just plucked out of it what I remember out of it most
2: was that... You're you're, you're referring to evil, right? And you're referring to... Yes,
3: yes, there's that. Yeah,
2: but if you go to the bonus section at the website, Mm. there's a plug for that. Okay. There's two episodes with Alex there that's not published as a part of the main episodes. One is called Endgame. Mm -hmm. It's a review of 2020 and 2021. We predict... I told him, I told him, no, Trump won't be president and I was right. No. Yeah. No, he wouldn't. Everybody back then believed. Oh yeah, yeah. Trump will do some Q move. And well, no.
3: you know, he, he was he was definitely the winner, but
2: he wasn't the uh, the winner. <laughs> yeah, there's no winners. Uh, that's like believing uh, lotto ain't rigged. <laughs> that's, that's like, Jesus. I'm just kidding. That's probably not. I rigged.
3: worked for a lotto organization a long time oh, ago. Wow. I used to have to do. Um, it's kind of an odd story. Maybe I should tell it just since you brought that up because yeah. uh, it told me, it taught me how all the different um, uh, lottos work. Uh-huh. And I was in Canada. And so what we would do is this organization had the authority to sell tickets from all over the world. So if you're a lotto geek and you want to buy tickets to El Gordo, the wow. famous oldest uh, lotto in uh, Spain, uh-huh. uh, but you're in Australia and you can't get to Spain to buy it or whatever. This is what the organization right. did. So all the lottos around the world sold tickets to all the people around the world. They had
2: the legal authority. A uh, Good that. business model.
3: Yeah. It was a fantastic business model, but yeah. what we had to know uh, for part of the sales training was the um, the methodology behind each of the lottos. Now, this was stuff that I had to sign papers on that I wouldn't tell while I was working for this organization or identify this organization. Right. But one of the things that happens, especially now that most of the lottos are uh, digital, of course, yeah. is that uh, if you take a quick pick, for instance – I don't know anybody out there that actually plays the, the lotto that's listening. I'm sure they've abandoned <laughs> we that. We don't know what that means, but it doesn't matter, yeah? So basically what it means is that you allow the computer to pick your numbers for you. No, oh, okay. You don't pick your own numbers. Um, the computer reissues the same numbers to increase the probability that the lotto will carry over. So it increases the total amount being raised and increases the half amount, typically, wow. that the uh, lotto organization takes off the top. Right. And so an easy way to engineer these massive um, lottos uh, that build up to 100, 200, sometimes 300 million is that people go and buy those tickets and they don't pick their own numbers. Stupid. People. And the vast majority of people don't. Huh. They they allow the computer Amazing. to pick them for them because they have this subconscious belief that the the, the the computer is more
2: random than their own picks. Uh, or
3: they want to pick hundreds of numbers right
2: well, why do they want random i mean people i thought everybody well, well, hang on i thought people issue. used their birth dates and the lucky numbers sure, and stuff like that sure
3: sure but we're talking about the vast majority of people that that produce or buy the most tickets huh. they buy hundreds and thousands <sighs> of numbers at the same same time right so I was selling $10,000 worth of tickets to uh, you know uh, a a single person. Right. And and they were buying hundreds if not thousands of number combinations. Wow. And they're not going to come up with them themselves. No. So this is where the vast majority of money is being come is coming from into these lotto's are these lotto addicts all over the world. Yeah.
2: But it's and kind of where- the same principle that algo uses in casinos. <laughs> there too, they, they try to maximize profit combined with, um, trying to avoid, uh, they, they can control the number of, Payout is my point, so that yep. uh, that will be less obviously than and much 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 less than obviously the income yeah of course and I mean and, and, and it has to be like that because they're not a charity organization exactly. they're in business no of course not. exactly so they have to give they have to give a few freebies out exactly. to some random people so that enough people will buy into mm-hmm. you know it's basically a tax That's yeah. what it i is. mean this
3: this kind of rigging used to be manual. In the lotto yeah, system, yeah. which is essentially the same thing. A system as the democratic election. Yeah. Uh, now that it's been digitized, I mean, the, the elections have been rigged since, you know, the dawn
2: of these all
3: elections. But in this case... And still, you trust
2: cryptos. That's interesting.
3: Well, cryptos is a little different. Cryptography
2: is different. No, I mean tr- cryptocurrency. Yeah, that's cryptography. Okay. Yeah. You have to
3: get into cryptography to understand what cryptocurrency is and what blockchain operates on from a mathematical perspective.
2: Well, cryptography is pretty related to many of these players we're discussing today. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's funny. So I'm not
3: saying that there isn't uh, faulty uh, aspects or rigged aspects in, in cryptography. In fact, cryptography is the ability to obscure exactly. um, you know, any kind of message so that it cannot be hacked. Right? That is essentially the one of the root
2: uh, foundational components of bl- blockchain technology. So, anyway. Which also explains why it's so connected to esoterica, traditionally. Yeah,
3: and it's a cipher. It's cipher. Yeah. It's ciphering. ciphers. Yeah. It's ciphering of mathematics at a level that is so... Grandiose.
2: R- remember the notion of the ancients. Yeah, they ha- They were talking about sacred alphabets.
3: I do think AI could certainly uh, in- uh, run through uh, cryptocurrencies and engineer it for itself, but I don't think humans can. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, that's my thoughts on that. So interesting. let's go to the next slide. Yeah.
2: Yep. Next slide. Mm-hmm. So
3: this interesting character, um, Fascio, uh, he. Basically expounded upon the theory of gravity, and that was essentially his contribution. So he first formulated his ideas on gravitation in a, le- in a letter to Christian Hagen's in the spring of 1690. Now, what his letter um, he read aloud to the Royal London uh, Society of London, so he was British.
2: I wonder. I wonder if, if in 1619 if the materialists had. Already succeeded. I think by then they succeeded to more or less co opt the Royal Society. Well,
3: it's right here. It's right here. Royal Society in London.
2: Yeah, there it is.
3: It's the co opting, it's the bureaucratic establishment of ideas. And this gets into right opinion. This
2: is the co opting. Oh, okay. Interesting.
3: Well, this is part of it, right? It's part of it. Yeah. Right, the Royal Society in London is part of that. Every nation had their version.
2: Yeah, but it was set up by alchemists. The original Royal Society was completely different. It was really free thinking.
3: Well, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't a formal organization. It was a
2: group of people but, yeah, who knew each other through some sort of secret
3: society that ha- couldn't be formalized because it couldn't come out of hiding. Well, here it comes out of hiding now. Okay, right. we're right into the Renaissance. We're deep in. We're sixteen sixty four to seventeen Fifty-three
2: now, yeah. But my point is when when they came out of hiding is when. They, well, I don't know the exact date. But no, well, it's it's a period, uh, and I forgot it. But it's a matter of googling anyway. But anyway, yeah. So, well,
3: I think it, I think it's visible here.
2: So that when they came out of hiding, they they came with many good ideas. Uh, but later, after it became more and more institutionalized that's when it was co-opted by the materialist philosophers. And I think that okay. may have been, I don't know if it was as early as 1619, certainly during the Industrial Revolution and after that, the, yeah, like at Darwin's time, mm-hmm. it was too late. But that was the 1800s. So yep. here we're at the beginning of the 1700s. So go on.
3: Yeah, we're right in that crossover from 16 to 17 centuries. And Obviously, we have the Royal Society in London. So, there you go.
2: It has happened at this point. I don't know what the actual moment was, but it's occurred. Yeah, yeah. My point is that the the Royal Society happens and it's bad from the outset. My point is that <laughs> in the beginning, it was many uh, open-minded people. It was like a creative think tank. Yeah, yeah. It was, and uh, then it became co-opted. Uh, it was fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was fun. We had many uh, good ideas.
3: Yeah, it wasn't constrained by um, a social environment of right think. It was, and uh, they even
2: or, ha- they even had a spiritual and esoteric uh, stuff that they were looking into. I'd say it was more
3: of that than than hard science, much more than, yeah. than hard science. Yeah. Uh, it was eking into hard science. Uh, but here what i find interesting why i put it here is newton commented on fatio's mechanical theory of gravity as devised by the most ingenious geomet- uh, geometer in in mr fatio now what i find there interesting is kind of like the birth of accolades right mm. peer review there there becomes this environment of accolades and peer review and right think and all this stuff now it doesn't mean that that was the intent behind Newton's comments. No idea. Yeah, yeah. But the idea that it becomes necessary to have rubber stamped, be rubber stamped by somebody who is previously thought to have established something, and the word keyword being established. So I just put that in there for that reason because I knew that you and I would riff on that. Cool. Um, so next slide, I guess. So he composed several drafts of his theory. And you can see in the background this image of circles with arrows pointing in all directions. And what they were trying to do is come up with this idea of what governed the movement in free space in this vacuum that had been established out in space. was considered a vacuum, but not empty, Mm. full of influence. And influence was particles. And these particles were pushing against celestial bodies in all directions. And it was the vacuum that was created between moving bodies that caused the absence or, or lesser degree of these these moving particles called corpuscles, they called them, yeah. that cause motion towards or, or away from other things. So it's kind of this elaborate idea of because bodies are obscuring the flow of these corpuscles, they'll push them together because there's more corpuscles on the outside of them, forcing them together, etc. So these are like elaborate ideas, right? These are mm. getting into theories now, obviously, none of them. The
2: corpuscles are basically the same as particles. It's exactly. just that the terminology yeah. has changed. Exactly. But yeah, it's like the smallest bodies yeah. of um, structured energy, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: yeah and so he was obviously dismissed and uh, fragments of his manuscript you know, disappeared and then were acquired later by George Losange, who in the 1700s
2: oh, that was a pretty decent uh, French uh, expression right <laughs> there <you>. yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> I'm trying, I mean I really would love to <laughs> live in France and learn French but uh, I don't know if the French people have me uh, or if I want them. Not without your COVID uh, certificate. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, there's there's a movement <laughs> against that kind of ideology there, but it's just starting. Yeah. Um, I don't think the people are really that fond of it. But anyway, failed to find uh, – well, basically, George tried to publish, republish his work. And this is kind of how a lot of these contributors fell into obscurity. It wasn't just Tesla. You know, mm. uh, there's a lot of people in this, this uh, sort of history, and I'm just covering a few here uh that contributed to ideas about, you know, this ether before it was really considered to be an established theory, uh, trying to describe what was going on. And and they, you know, took certain individuals who found their ideas interesting, who were able to get a hold of their papers and tried to publish them. And and in this case it wasn't until two hundred and twenty nine years later
2: that Fascio's um work was actually published. By a guy named Carl Bop. De la course, de la course, de la passanteur, <laughs> de la passanteur, yeah. de la course, de la passanteur. Uh, oh,
3: passanteur. Memoire de l'otage. I always find yeah. it makes it easier if you really lavish on a, a yeah. very thick French accent if you can pull that off. Some enthusiasm. Yeah. So if you can't even reconstitute uh, <laughs> the <laughs> <and introduction laughs> yeah, now, I probably ruined all of that, but it sounds great.
2: Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the so- but you got the sounds right anyway. Exactly,
3: exactly. The it phonetic right. exactly. And I don't mean any disrespect to the French. I just really enjoy their accent.
2: <laughs> no, no. It's mm-hmm. uh, we poke with a glimmer in our mm-hmm, eyes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So next, slide. Mm-hmm.
3: So this is really the the model that he created. So. He assumed that the universe is filled with these minute particles, they called them corpuscles, um, moving indiscriminately at high speed in all directions. So this is really the first concept of a cosmic or solar wind. And to illustrate his thoughts, uh, Fascio constructed Mm. the following diagram into a spherical concept. Now, what you see here again is this idea of a closed system, right? This is Euclidean Mm. geometry. We're going to get into that, but I'll just plunk that idea there. We don't need to get into a full description of what this is, but what we see here are limits to the concept. And that limit to the concept is the sphere and the geometry. The point is here, of course, that we see Euclidean geometry, which we'll get into. But he had a model. He created a model. And this is where we're getting into some serious attempts to uh, achieve a theory of what a uh, ether is. Yeah. So, Lassange Theory of Gravitivity, Building on Fascio's Concepts, George
2: Louis Lassange, Kinetic Theory of Gravitation, was proposed in 17. The French are heavily into this kind of research at this point. Yeah, the French were
3: really into it, yes, exactly. Well, mainly because there was such an intellectual
2: exchange between England, Italy, and France at that point. But France was also in the vanguard of the esoteric thought. I wonder if there's a connection there. Hmm. I'm sure you would know better than I. Yeah, I'm just thinking aloud.
3: And I think you're right. Could be. I think you're right. And you can see in the background uh, the faint image of Lassange's drawing, which is an extrapolation on the idea of these corpuscles moving things around. And he really coined the word corpuscles,
2: actually. actually. Yeah. Corpuscle.
3: Yeah, corpuscle. <laughs> corpuscle. Yeah. <laughs> it's so delicious when you try and put on an accent. It's yeah. great. I can't wait to speak French. It's going to be delicious. Right, right. Okay, okay.
2: next one. Mm-hmm.
3: So this is more of a gif that explains uh, the idea that the earth is moving through an atmosphere of corpuscles.
2: This Hang is... on. The picture. Mm-hmm. Is that an optic illusion or is it moving? No, it's moving. Oh, okay, because it could be one of those uh, optical illusion things. You know what I mean? They look like yeah. this. They have this kind of moving too. But anyway, go on.
3: Yeah. So this is the really the luminis. This is the word I was looking for earlier. The luminiferous ether. This was a term that was coined to try and formalize a theory about what was causing all these actions at a distance. Mm-hmm. And this really pops up in the eighteen hundreds. it's meaning light-bearing ether that's what luminiferous ether means it was theorized medium for the propagation of light it was evoked uh, to explain the ability of the assumed wave-based light to propagate through empty space a vacuum something that waves should not be able to do
2: but you know what we should also explain the word ether it uh, originally comes from greece and depending on the context, how you want to translate it, we, I, I use divine fire, mm-hmm. but you can also use, talk about luminous fire or like uh, something that burns or shines. So it is like the first fire, it's the cosmic fire, basically. Mm-hmm. In more spiritual yeah. terms,
3: yeah, and I think what we're realizing here is that uh, nothing new under the sun here yeah,
2: so fire is the is the principle that uh, in esoterical in esoteric sciences that deals with the physical world too, it's just a different terminology, but basically it's the same kind of study, and they say that fire is the element that changes other things. That's the mm-hmm. one that you need to use as a mold, as a tool. It corresponds to the one, so it's it's like a sword. It pierces through everything, and so I think
3: what's really important here is that that the last sentence, the assumption of a spatial plenum of lumiferous luminiferous ether rather than a spatial vacuum, this demonstrates the schism that takes place in in um, in uh, what you want to call orthodox academic ideology of is there a vacuum, or is there something that's there
2: yeah but but here's the point with ether, and that's that that's then the most primal fire, yeah in existence, yeah, which is why they they think it can influence everything it's the question is was was it is it like causative? is it causal? and if you look at the spiritual traditions, they basically say that ether is two things. It's both the archetype, the template, the, the raw stuff before it takes form. It's zero instead of one. It's God sleeping before waking up. It's uh, the idea before uh, the chain of creation begins. Mm-hmm. But it's also the sum result of all the other elements, everything else in creation. And, and that's like its other side, the other side of ether. Yeah. Yeah, it's and,
3: also at the core of zero-point energy, for instance. Yeah, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and it has to be like that, because if something generates everything else, then if you take that everything else and look at it as a whole, mash it together, then I, I see why it becomes back to ether again, if you see what I mean. It's ether in its yeah. higher level. It's the end ether instead of the... It's a post thing instead of the pre-thing.
3: Yeah, if you change the words, it's the same thing. Ether can be associated with quantum, could be associated with vacuum, can be associated with everything, right? It's all basically talking about the same thing. The problem is that it becomes competitive. And here, the reason I put this slide in is because you have a competitive schism that takes place in what is becoming a kind of institutionalized uh, process. Uh, Back and forth, is it a vacuum or is it filled with something? Mm. Right, and, and in this case, there was a problem um, in in terms of the uh, thought process. Is that, well, if we look at wave uh, light as a wave then it needs a medium in which to be a wave because everybody's looking at the ocean and seeing waves and that medium is water Mm -hmm. and so there becomes this problem that they have to prove that there is something out there they have to find a, a mechanical imperialistic material methodology for explaining the ether and its existence otherwise that entire theory fails
2: yeah so here we see Newton's stuff and Copernicus' stuff starting to go off the rails. Having, having a negative effect, exactly. And being hijacked, yeah.
3: yeah. Exactly. And so we're willing to see that there's a wave. We're willing to understand that those waves are out there moving things around or having some sort of influence on the materium, but we need a way to prove it. So they formalized the theory, call it luminiferous ether Right. This is the theology, the um, scientific theology that Tesla is born into.
2: OK. And
3: is um, responsible for perfecting. And then as soon as he's able to perfect it, it becomes denied. Right. OK, next,
2: Lloyd. Mm
3: hmm. So here was an attempt by James Clerk Maxwell, developed a model to explain electric and magnetic phenomena, we'll get into him later, using the ether wind concept, and a model that led to what are now called Maxwell's equations and the particle or partial understanding that light is an electromagnetic wave. However, a series of increasingly complex experiments have been carried out in the late 1800s, such as the michelson morley experiment, which is pictured here, uh, in an attempt to detect the motion of Earth through the ether but it failed. Hmm. And this failure brought about a crisis in the ether model. Hmm. So that's uh, why they abandoned it. Yeah, and that took place in 1887.
2: Just because they didn't have the proper equipment and understanding of it, they just abandoned it it altogether.
3: And it was more expedient in terms of creating a, what I believe is the conspiracy to create scientific materialism, whether that's a, a deliberate or an unconscious conspiracy, either way. Good point. Next slide. Yeah. So, Joseph Larmer then proposed that the ether could be represented as a homogeneous fluid because so they went back to mama, basically. Yeah. They went back to the ocean. A gas, a medium, which was perfectly incompressible and elastic. So, essentially, there was a crisis, and out of crises was born a reactionary theory. Mm. And, of course, that reactionary theory couldn't be proved. So, you know, Larmer yeah. believed that the source of the electric charge was a particle, which he was right. It's not a new idea. But the idea that he referred to it as an electron, that is new. Mm. And he held that the flow of charged particles constitutes the current of conduction, which was part of
2: the atom. Now, we're going to end up going backwards in history real soon here. Have you seen the funny images of how they conceived the atom to be? I mean, it's completely different from the different (laughs) time periods. It's, It's just Projection. you talk talking about a Greek model or a Roman model or which one? Are no, you no, about? I'm talking about in modern times from, uh, from, uh, the late 1800s and actually up until today. If you look at them, the drawings of, or illustrations of atoms, they're completely different. At one point it looks like a cloud. At another point is, it's like uh, circles with the stuff around them. Although it looks like a flower. I mean, it's, it's a mess. It's a mess. They have no idea how it actually looks like. <laughs> It's just Mm -hmm. models, Mm -hmm.
3: so they try. Well, this was really this was sort of like um, if you take an analogy of maybe a, a small business owner, and they build up their business as much as they can, and they go to launch it, and the first couple of months are pretty rough, and they quit just just before. The event that whatever it was with the emotion, the ad, the, the whatever it was that was going to take them off, uh, take leap their catapult their business into success, they quit on it. And this is what happened from a scientific perspective. Joseph Lormer was so close, so close mm-hmm. to being able to prove and, and demonstrate that the luminiferous ether existed in the form of electricity in space electromagnetism in space, what is now being recovered by the Thunderbolts project. He was at the doorstep of it. Mm. And then because they couldn't... So I
2: guess they honor him as an early proto-electrical universe guy then.
3: I don't know that they do, actually. I don't think... The funny
2: thing about the electric universe theory is that they think of it as all new. They sort of present it as all new, right? The the, the top guys too? From what I can tell. The fans, yes. Like, okay. I'm not
3: hanging out with these guys.
2: I don't see, I don't hear their uh, off-camera conversations. Because I know there are some people in the past, the they're very, they're very fond of Alfheim, for example, mm. and early plasma researchers. Right. Plasma is a big deal for them, yeah. for
3: sure, for obvious reasons. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I'm just doing a presentation about electrical uh, engineering. So yeah. there's a lot I'm missing, and there's probably a lot that they're talking
2: about that I'm not hearing. But but let me just say that plasma is the first manifestation stage of fire mm. that we talked about,
3: or ether, if you like. There you go. Well, plasma is really is really just a huge buildup of electrical charge. Um, yeah, but it's, you know, it's like a limit.
2: It, it's a limit condition between uh, fire and ether in in alchemical terms. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely the 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 go
3: between. Let's call it.
2: Yeah. So they were they were at that point really of
3: um, being able to demonstrate this, and probably were. Uh, there's probably part of the story that I'm missing here in terms of plasma. Regardless, I think it's really important to note Lorimer because he was very close. Right. Mm. He uh, he coined the term electron. He built it into the atomic structure. Uh, the problem was that this coincided with um, classical physics being more or less replaced by theoretical mathematics, yeah. which is the source of quantum theory and relativity, which essentially is Maxwell uh, and uh, Heaviside and um, and uh, Steinmetz, which we'll get to um, partially later. they mm. actually end this presentation. Next slide. Yeah. So so Hendrik Lorentz uh, Hendrik Lorentz uh, ether theory uh marked the final point uh, really in the development of classical ether theories so he hypothesized a completely motionless ether see, and predicted that motion through the ether would create a bifringence effect, having two different refractive indices, the uh, indices, the ratio of the velocity of light in, in a vacuum to its velocity in a specified medium. Now, he went off the rails. So Rayleigh and Brace tested and failed to find it and summarized this failure. Uh, essentially, um, we have uh, Herman Wheel who's a relatively unknown scientist, who wrote uh, more or less the obituary mm-hmm. for the luminiferous theory. Uh, you could read it if you wish. Mm. Uh, which part? Uh, the quotes here. Uh, Herman Wale wrote that the ether had thus... Uh, yeah, you just go on. I don't know where you are. Just read it to you. ...betaken itself to the land of the shades in a final effort to elude the inquisitive search of the physicist... It was at this point that the luminiferous ether model died. So right. now, now luminiferous ether model died, perhaps on the verge of success, but it has since uh, experienced an indirect resurgence as plasma cosmology and the electric universe yep. theory. Yep. yep. So now let's go back in time. Uh, once more because we have to go back to some foundational aspects now the image that you see in the background is Luna Park which was Coney Island in 1905 there were theme parts of light that's how novel and amazing um, Tesla's impact was with the advent of of, um, the AC system so we can go to the next slide So now let's go back in time once more. Now, I kind of sped ahead on a concept, the luminiferous um, ether. But we need to go back again because obviously a lot of what Tesla was doing had more to do with electromagnetism. And so we haven't covered that, but that fits into the ether model. So I wanted to cover the ether model first and then go back in time a little bit to cover some of the fun stuff
0: Mm. that
3: led to uh, some of the engineering So next slide. Oh, and by the way, I just want to remind people that if you go to Patreon uh, forward slash Tesla Man of Light, you can uh, hopefully support the process of me writing the novels about this. Um, And then also it's available to purchase the full glossy, large format, full color, high definition version of this presentation that has additions to it that are more than what you see here. Cool. Cool so charles francois du <laughs> charles francois du <Duffet, laughs> sixteen ninety eight seventeen thirty nine a d uh, he was a French chemist who discovered two kinds of electricity that he named virtuous. And or sorry, vitreous and resinous, which I imagine are French terms in some sense, also noting the difference between conductors and insulators. So he understood that there are some materials that are conductive. They allow an electrical current to pass through and others that don't. And so he and then he and through that process discovered that, um, you know, there was positive charge and negative charge uh, electricity. So those are some of the root root, um, discoveries and observations. And it's not just stuff you write down, it's stuff you can duplicate. So there you go. Mm -hmm. And that's a picture of him. Um, that's a wood carved print of him. Now I don't know that there, there probably is a, a painting of him, but, I selected this because I found it most interesting. And also, actually, by the way, if people want individual slides as posters, that is also available. So you mm. don't have to buy the whole book. You can pick out a slide that you like uh, from the list and, and get it printed for your wall. Mm. So if you like Charles Francois Duvet, you can have this
2: <laughs> as a poster. As a, uh,
3: as a poster. And, and uh, in the poster version. You, uh,
2: timing would be better if you said it when we were at Tesla, but okay. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, whatever. I mean, in all future slides, uh, it's it's available as an independent, and there aren't future and past. Yeah, future and present. Yeah. And past. Whatever the and past. Yes, because it's all at it once. It's all one. Mm. Yes, and and actually, that is proven in electrical engineering. So, Ewald George von Kleist.
2: Guess what country he's from? Right
3: it was a German cleric who discovered
2: uh, and they too had a lot of good uh, uh, science I don't want to call it spiritual science but you know metaphysical science going on alchemy and stuff uh, all all the way up until actually the Nazis after that they were emptied Mm right actually the Nazis emptied France and many other places too but worse was of course Germany. Mm -hmm. they had full control over Germany it was harder to crush Stuff survived in France, so. Well, um, when you get into the whole um, scientific. But at this point, there were many, many uh, alchemists who were scientists in Germany at the same yeah, time. Yeah,
3: I mean, you could say, and I do make the argument that Tesla's technology was um, a big part of what allowed the uh, scientific juggernaut of the Nazis. And and I mean this is stuff that if people mm. who are listening for the first time, I want to plug one of your um series, the uh the um Timeline for Breakaway Civilization, because it's my favorite. And within that, you get into all the uh, Joseph Farrell and who are some of the other guys? Just yeah. So I don't have to remember.
2: Yeah, but I have a sub-series there now called uh, The Curse of World oh, War II. Oh, my God. It's a part of that series, but I took – it was so many war-related uh, episodes, right? So I might as well just yeah. put them together. But too. it's science, man. and And that yeah. science is so
3: fascinating. And, and the more I learn about Tesla's technology, the more I see it being applied – Um, Now, they called it uh, denial of the Jewish science, Mm. right, which is essentially Einstein, relativity, quantum physics, and they stuck with the ether uh, model, basically, is what they did.
2: Yeah, they didn't have any choice because all those German scientists were born and bred out of that ether. (laughs) Well, it it was proved, and Tesla proved it,
3: and he was doing things with it that, Jesus, no. were incredible. And, and and it was not a closed system and it wasn't a vacuum and there weren't all these limitations. It was... Uh, and
2: this is true for money. Mm. In reality, we could live in a system of abundance instead of scarcity, but they fuck it up. It's true in terms of love. People with scarcity in mind, they are rarely happy. If you have the abundance model there too, you'll know that there's you'll always meet... I mean, there's plenty of fish in, uh, in the sea, as they say. Mm-hmm. It's true for everything. Yeah. Even your health and, and um, stuff. So, yeah. But back to science, same there. And even in a system where we have, uh, let's say, um, mapped out everything or we believe we have, even there, there is, uh, you know, holes. In, in existence, so to speak, which may oh, explain course, the yeah. UFOs. Well, but, this, this goes but, back to the
3: original statement that science is just a dominant understanding that always needs to be questioned and expanded
2: upon. Yeah, so my point is that if we can harvest energy from other dimensions, say then it's unlimited, even the there the so-called law breaks down. Well, it's
3: already unlimited. Even in the material, it's unlimited, which
2: we'll get into in, yep. in the latest
3: slides of the of the presentation. Okay. But in this case, the, the slide is really about George Kleist's uh, invention of the Leyden jar, okay. which was the ability to build up and store static electricity. Mm -hmm. This was a huge move forward for the ability for people to uh, investigate and then test um, their theories around electricity and what it was. So Kleist invented the Leyden jar, which is super, super influential, as we'll see in the next slides.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: And of course, they did that off of the frictional electric machine. So this is what it looks like. Okay. So this was one of the original versions that he created that was perfected by many others because it became very popular and widely used. Um so
2: ah, he got uh electrical shock. Oh yeah. And that's that's equivalent to Newton having a head uh, I mean an apple falling on his head. Apple falling on his head, yeah. Same exactly. kind of uh <laughs> <laughs> A myth or whatever. Well,
3: Gerlath, Daniel Gerlath learned of the experiment in uh, one of his first letters. This is sort of a society that's appearing where everybody's coming up with these ideas and then sending letters out to each other. Mm. And would you repeat my experiment, please, and tell me what you come up with? And this is exactly what happened here. So Kleist produced this experiment, he sent out letters, and then in November of 1745 uh, Gerlath Um, read the letter, repeated the experiment, and came out with the same um, result in April. And then, of course, Gerlath found out about that and Leyden jars were born and became widely used.
2: Mm. Still in use? Oh, yeah.
3: They're still used. Uh, they're used in different uh, forms. Um, so it is estimate, essentially, this is the birth of the capacitors. Remember, we went through that mm-hmm. and we saw how they're being used in all these uh, experiments right down to nuclear physics. Mm-hmm. This is the evolution of that device. Right. So it is estimated that early Leyden jars could store between 20,000 and 60,000 volts, which is quite big. Wow. Hmm. And a battery of Leyden jars, a battery of Leyden jars, which we'll see in a minute, meaning a string of Leyden jars, could be used to discharge higher degrees of voltage, such as the experiments conducted by Daniel Grelat and Jean-Antoine.
2: Speaking of batteries, mm-hmm. yeah. speaking of the history of batteries, what about that old Greek battery they found uh, that was yeah. uh, shipwrecked? In Egyptians. And the Egyptian Yeah, the, the pyramid, and they even had light bulbs. <laughs> yeah.
3: But Well, they had jars. They had jars uh, jars that produced electricity. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But how did they um, – do you know the technology or mechanics behind that Greek battery? Yeah, it's right here. Have you looked into that? This is it. This is it? Yeah.
3: I mean, this is essentially it. I mean, yeah, this is it right here. It's just that I can't prove that. I can only see the correlation in the drawings right, okay. and in the description. Okay. You know, I just can't say in an empirical sense that no. that is it. I can just say it in the sense that
2: I know it at my gut level. I know that's what it was. Even if there were maybe… Maybe we should… Uh, it might also have been… Yeah, maybe we should go there. It's, I think it's on display somewhere.
3: Well, it might also be chemical. Mm. Either way, it's either a Leyden jar or it's a, it's a volt pile. It's one of the two.
2: Okay.
3: And so, anyway, that's that's where we're at. So
2: let's let's go examine it. If they do not implement um, COVID passports. Hey, hey! If I get support for
3: this series and people start <clears throat> buying these posters and this book and go to uh, Patreon and then eventually um, support the, um, the crowdfund that I'm going to do, I mean, we'll be able to do a lot of things. Mm, cool. And I'm and I'm providing value, as much value as I can. Yeah. So, not just giving money away, you're giving it to some good here. Yeah. Investment. Next. His name, Daniel Berlath. And the reason he's interesting, I find, is because he was one of a group of people that ended up taking this advancement, this. Um, this laden jar, and he turned it into a career where he went around Europe uh, electrocuting people as a form <laughs> of entertainment. And and he 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 he's a, he's a snake oil salesman in the sense that he claimed that it, proved, it cured all kinds of disease.
2: Yeah, he also that's what they do. They have something uh, a phenomenon which is new, then you can always get away with claiming stuff. Exactly. He may have believed it, though. We don't know that, of course, but. Um, well,
3: it, there may have been some evidence for that, and in fact, there is a lot of documented proof that it did. But they didn't know what it was doing exactly.
2: No, I think it was random because it can hurt as much as yes. it can heal. Everything to do with the frequency and the context and the resonance between the tool and the uh, illness and whatever. It's it's complex matter. So um, yeah, I'm sure they observed all sorts of effects, right? But they don't necessarily understand what they. These this is like kids with the matchsticks. This is the birth of shock therapy. Which is <laughs> yeah. why
3: I chose the image that I chose. And not here. just
2: shock therapy, also shock weaponry, like the police use, for example. <laughs>
3: exactly. Mm. Exactly. And this is why I picked that image in the background of eighteenth century
2: Bedlam a Asylum in, in Britain. Right. Painted by William Floreth, seventeen thirty-five. Nice touch. Thank nice you. touch. Look at that with the Dunce hat and everything.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Pretending <laughs> to be the Pope. Yeah. The that pope. is a Dunce hat. Yeah. Because he's pretending to be a pope. Yeah. As we all know, the pope's are real dunce.
2: I thought he was an ass. Uh,
3: maybe he's uh, bipolar. <laughs> <laughs> he can exist in both places at the same time. So this is the, the Leyden jar battery that I was talking about. And it's called a battery because it's a series of Leyden jars. So foremost among the – ooh, I've got a typo here. Good. Yeah. Okay. So foremost among these new um, traveling shock therapists was, of course, Daniel Gerlath. I mentioned it. And, uh, you know, he gave the shock at great distances and eventually administered a single shock through 20 persons at once. Oh, that must have been a great display. Now, that is the great display and it has serious implications in our understanding of electricity and and everything. So Hmm. in April of 1746, he constructed the first known battery by connecting the wires of several laden jars. And that's Gerlath's laden jar battery. Mm. And
2: he did that too. So he wasn't just a showman. No, I he was I a mean,
3: practical. He's like me. I have to do a show in order to, to support myself. Mm. It's the same. We're all the same. Mm. If you're out on the fringes, as we all are here, uh, you need support. And the only way you can get support is by putting some value, some entertainment, some content out into the world that supports you. Um, and uh, I'm doing the same he did a traveling presentation he was kind of a circus, electric circus mm. and there, he wasn't the only one but in the process and in using all of this technology and in developing it for his own purposes he made advancements yeah. it's what we do good old Ben Franklin mm-hmm. 1706, 1790 Ben Franklin is in part of course famous for exploring the phenomenon of electricity. And the funny thing about him is he put out a lot of ideas and allowed other people to do them. Hmm. (laughs) So he was, in fact, the first to label two kinds of electric charges, positive and negative. So it went away from that vitreous and the other one that – Resinous. Yeah, thank you. Resinous and vitreous to now positive and
2: negative. Rather than biturism. I should have looked up the etymology of those two words, but um, well, we can, you know, listeners can do that. Franklin was also in the esoteric tradition, so it's it's a good thing he used plus and minus as the operating language. It was the same already in alchemy and uh, other stuff. So yeah, it fits. Yeah, he he recognized the same principle, just for matter. Yeah, in putting this together, I feel like
3: uh, we should do a version of the book where you contribute the um, the secret society backgrounds of these individuals.
2: I ah, know <laughs> that's not necessary. We could do a two hundred page book out of this. No, I think it could be a good that would be the esoteric edition of the coffee table. Yes, book. exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
3: You could have the, the electrical. Yeah,
2: limited print.
3: Right. So let's first get some of these ones sold, and then I have a budget which to, uh, to engage you with uh, putting together the esoteric version of this.
2: Well, just extract the golden speeches in this show, and you have it. <laughs> I'm so lazy. <laughs> Well, you've but, got but, well, okay. So, um, Benjamin Franklin, his contribution was um, basically giving the terminology of the electrical charge. Uh, yeah, he he contributed positive and negative, but that wasn't the only. Thing he did. What was the thing about him and uh, what you call it in English? Uh, you call it, uh, it it swings in the sky by the wind. Yeah, the kite. That's what, you, that's
3: what you see what's here what's the thing with him and a kite well that's what you see depicted in this painting is him with a child in the back holding the string of the kite and the lightning rod in the form of a key Oh uh, no, no, I see bringing it. down now that's in the next slide so we can just talk about that in the next slide No,
2: but they look they're holding the kite in the background I didn't see yes, it until are. now yeah,
3: and they also have a laden jar in the bottom cherubs left. for some reason they have a bottom left laden jar where are they were right. supposed to collect the static electricity,
2: and and, and he inquired the help of uh, cherubs. Well, let's just go to the next slide, and we can talk about it some more. Which uh, yeah. connects it to heaven? Yes, exactly. He was the painter did that. Yeah, ether also means like in the top of the sky, the, like the luminous. Yeah, yeah. But painters uh, back then were in the symbolist traditions. So no I problem. I forgot to credit this painting, so I'm going to do that. Oh, okay.
3: I'm finished
2: uh, when we're finished. This, this uh, I mean, it could be a modern painting too, of course, but it, it doesn't no, look not. like it. No,
3: it's not. Uh, it's, it's, from the yeah, it's from the 19th century, so the 1800s, basically. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Make sure to credit it before the book is published. Oh, I will. Yeah, no, I will. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay.
3: So he published a proposal. And this was the idea to prove that lightning was electricity, because as you can, just the idea of that, that they were still trying to prove that that lightning was electricity tells you where they were at. <laughs> so his proposal was flying a kite in an electric storm, to which could be attracted a laden jar, or could be attached, sorry, a laden jar, to collect the results for further investigation. So whether or not, so this is the funny thing, I'm investigating this, and it's so funny. Anytime you're born in North America, whether you're from Canada or United States, Ben Franklin did this. It was his thing. He did it. With a kite, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so whether or not he actually did it or not is actually in question. So Mm -hmm. his suggestion caused many other unsuspecting gentlemen of curiosity to die from doing the experiment. Jesus. (laughs) And so to prevent further deaths, because it was reported that all these people died, some in Russia, some in Europe, some in in, um, verging on the uh, Adriatic and Asian continent, uh, all these people died at, at his behest because he would published it and people were listening to him because he was a big part of the foundation of the United States. And so everybody was. So then uh, he had to
2: create the lightning rod.
3: So he had to retract his statement and say, OK, no, we're going to develop this thing
2: called a lightning rod. Please don't do it with a kite. But, but that just <laughs> proves he was right because he knew how to do it without dying from it. So obviously, well, it,
3: what I'm saying is that he may not
2: have done the experiment until other people died already. He certainly could have. Because he knew he, he knew how to deal with these forces. There,
3: there is a claim. There is a claim that he did, but mm-hmm. that claim was not published until about thirty years after the original suggestion of this experiment.
2: But but this is my point precisely when I say, said that um, uh, the, you know the apple falling on Newton's head. These are uh, the, all all these big discoveries have this. Anecdote following, which in most cases <laughs> it's just bullshit, mm-hmm. like they now say the thing with Apple never happened it's just like it's it's almost like the willem Tell it's, thing.
3: it's just the crafting of an archetypical story in order to capture public imagination
2: yeah and and that, that's what I was reacting to earlier about the guy with the electricity mm-hmm. when I mentioned uh a Newton thing and mm-hmm. it's what we also question here and now but my observation is just and that and i have to introduce, Franklin- and
3: i have to say that it's also the same idea that we were talking about with the um, with the introduction of film presenting um, the, the the release of of bioweapons out of laboratories into the public to cause widespread zombie apocalypse it's the exact same thing
2: you, you're saying that the lab leak didn't happen?
3: No, what I'm saying is it's the pre-crafting of an archetypical narrative introduced into the
2: ether, mm. into the public consciousness, Manifests. in order to manifest something there's mm. yeah. a correlation there mm-hmm. uh, and, and we won't understand it until we put consciousness in its right place in this science because it's a part of it
3: that's in episodes Or in slide presentations, two and three.
2: And that's what Russell also um, understood. God, I hope his name is Russell, otherwise nobody knows who (laughs) I'm talking about. But the guy who who really did the thing with Darwin, which Darwin, he did the actual research. Both Darwin and him talked about the same thing Mm. at the same time. But um, he believed consciousness was a part, big part of this thing. And, and life they has to, did. because life is electrical. They all did.
3: Yeah, all but, through. And I'm not talking about yeah. it in this presentation, is the through line that all these scientists, because they glommed onto the luminous ether science, the other part of that story is that they were trying to figure out the root of consciousness while they were trying to figure out yeah. what this light was, this ether. The physical burn. Okay. The fire, the fire from all things.
2: Right? Your, your, your voice is cracking so much up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's because of the image. Really? Yeah. So, uh, w- what I suggest we do is stop mm. the recording and then we continue because I think it's getting. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's getting too big. Okay. It's, it's been doing this for a while now, but it's really getting bad. So, okay. what's okay. the point with a perfect mic if your voice is fucked by the lack of bite? Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought it up. So, we have to take a break then. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's uh, a good place to take our first break. And we'll be right back with part two of this show. Thanks for for listening. listening.
1: All of our files are free and will remain free. If you like the show... You can show support by donating $1 to help with expenses. Just use the PayPal link on our webpage. Thanks.